Well, hello. I'm Gary Horn, and this, this is the NWA, a podcast celebrating the past, the present, the future, the history, legacy, tradition, the whole thing of one of the greatest pro wrestling entities of all time. You know I'm talking about that National Wrestling Alliance. And this week, folks, obviously, we have a big show. You've already seen the titles. I'm sure you know who it is. We're talking to the world's heavyweight champion, carrying that 10 pounds of gold, that sweet Charlotte, top of the food chain, Mr. Nick Aldis. Before I talk to you about that, just a brief moment, I did want to address one thing. Some people have asked me my thoughts. I have not had a chance to address this on the podcast regarding Mr. Royce Isaacs and Mr. Thomas Latimer as the World Tag Team Champions. Yeah, I've gotten a little bit behind on the weekly updates. For those of you who don't know the history of this, I have oftentimes recommended that Thomas Latimer and Royce Isaacs should be full-time talent with the National Wrestling Alliance. I've said that many times on this podcast. I have said that I think that that is a practically undiscovered tag team that deserves the attention of the wrestling world. I got pushback during that period of time. Some people saying they just didn't like them as a tag team or some people saying that they would probably never team again. It was a one-off. Some people saying we'd never even see these gentlemen again in the NWA. And some of you now have asked, given the current situation, if you haven't noticed, they are the NWA tag team champions and the latest NWA YouTube offering heavily features them in an excellent match. Uh, defending those tag team titles. A lot of you have asked my thoughts on the present day situation for Mr. Latimer and Mr. Isaacs. And I like to try to keep things even keel on the podcast, if at all possible, and remain very professional. We'll say I do begin excited sometimes. In light of that, I have prepared an official statement that I would like to give at this time. It is as follows. Ha. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 wheeze ha 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 I told you you didn't listen I was right you were wrong bow to my superior intellect and never question my commentary ever again thank you that out of the way I just want to say this one thing did you see did you see the latest offering from the NWA's YouTube channel did you see what those boys did. Thomas Latimer is the king of all evil, the eviscerator of worlds, raining down hellfire in the middle of the ring, the likes of which the world has never seen since the devil himself, while concurrently partnered up with Royce Isaacs, who is a athletically gifted golden god granted to us from the heavens above. Separately, either one of these men can deadlift a dump truck combined what do you think they're gonna do to your favorite tag team if they're feeling saucy enough to step into the ring it's not going to be pretty so just right now i would like all of the haters to make sure you're listening take a step back go watch youtube the nwa and check out what they did at championship wrestling from hollywood and then consider this and those tag team championships, your formal invite to suck it. <clears throat> okay, that out of the way, I just wanted to say that this was a big deal having Nick Aldis on the podcast. I think when I first started this thing out and just wanted to cover wrestling and especially a niche 
product in wrestling, I decided to roll with the NWA just because everybody involved, I'm talking about Billy Corgan, David Lagana, and then of course, Nick Aldis and Tim Storm just starting the series out with the 10 pounds of gold was one of the biggest things in the world. And it's what brought me in to this promotion as being the premier wrestling promotion. I'm excited to cover them. I would be talking about them no matter what. So it's more fun that I get to do a podcast and introduce new people and interact with all of you, the fans out there. That said, again, I just want to say thank you so much. Everybody who's provided support, given words of encouragement, you all have been amazing and you brought us right here to this point. We got the ears of everyone in the wrestling world and especially we got the ears of the world's heavyweight champion, Nick Aldis, who volunteered to be on the show today. They've got that huge studio wrestling show tapings coming up October 30th, September 1st at the Georgia Public Broadcasting Studios. I think there are some tickets left. I'll be there day one and day two VIP. You know I have to be. I want to see what's going to happen. It's going to be historical. I think you should be there if you don't already have your tickets. Get down there. If my word is not enough, then today you're going to get to hear from the man himself. Nick was a super sweet guy and really, really fun to talk to. And uh, I just want you to know, starting out, I was a little nervous, I'm not gonna lie. I was not expecting this quickly to already have the world's heavyweight champion on the podcast, but here we are. And uh, I was worried at first that I would not even know what to say or not have enough to talk about, but Nick is a true gentleman and a scholar, and he carried us right through the entire interview, I mean, I mean, it was just a great conversation just from start to finish. It was just easy as anything else just to talk to the man and uh, just see his thoughts on a variety of different issues. We covered so many things that I didn't even expect us to get to. I had a great time actually getting to know the man behind the title, the man you're seeing on your television, carrying that 10 pounds of gold, bringing it back to prominence along with David Lagana and Billy Corgan. The conversation went way longer than I intended or even perhaps Nick intended. So I'm not going to tie you up anymore with my intro. I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you to all of you. Thank you to Nick. Thank you to the NWA. This has been a blast so far, and it feels like a next chapter is ready to turn here, and I, for one, cannot wait. So with all of that out of the way, here we go with This is the NWA Podcast special guest, the world's heavyweight champion, Nick Aldis. <laughs> And we are recording, and it says to avoid any legal snafu, I need to tell you that you're being recorded. I see that, and acknowledge such. <laughs> well, I am Gary Horn. I'll spare you the whole intro. We'll probably just tag that on at the beginning. I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. I am here with the real world heavyweight champion, as far as I'm concerned, the NWA world's heavyweight champion, Mr. Nick Aldis. Hello, Nick. Hi, Gary. Man, it is a big honor to have you on the show. This this feels like we leveled up real, real quick. Like well, I was I'm not expecting that. And, I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm glad I could make that happen for you. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. I know you got some big stuff in the works, so it's cool that uh, you considered us for being a part of that process. Nick, the last time I saw you was at Crockett Cup. I did want to ask you this. We were at a VIP event, and we talked about Game of Thrones. And you had a lot of theories, and I guess this is unrelated to anything, but I just wanted to know how you thought it played out. Oh, God. You're going to get my hot take on the finale? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, I didn't lose my mind as, as much as most of the internet seemed to uh, at the at the final episode, but I must admit, I did feel it was a bit anticlimactic. I, I'm the I, same way. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 here's a I, here's the thing with my you know limited involvement in the creative process of things like entertainment. I understand that you're never going to please everyone, and I think that they sometimes you know they become a victim of their own success. Some of these big shows because they develop such a rich catalog of characters with so many storylines and so much subtext and you know just so many emotions attached to all the characters over the years for fans who are so invested that the expectations take on a life of their own in every individual viewer does that make sense like every single viewer wants in that sees in their mind's eye how this is going to go and obviously every single one of those people are going to have a different vision of it so you know, and that and and that's a testament to how successful the show is. But you know, unfortunately, it also creates a situation whereby it's not how anybody expected it because everybody expected it to be the way, just the way they wanted it. You know, I, I want Jon Snow to be take the Iron Throne, and I want this, and I want that, and blah blah blah. You know, and it's just you know that everyone's got their own thing they want. Although I do say, it, I found the whole. Um, I don't know if you and I talked about it, but I did. I did call that that Jon Snow would kill Daenerys. Yeah, like, I think you did mention that. I totally called that and was like, "He's going to end up having to kill her reluctantly," which is true. I you see. Well, can we talk about my big theory that never that was never addressed? So it, I could just pretend I was right because it wasn't actually. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, it can't really do a spoiler yeah. or anything. So yeah, I mean, you, you and I. About... I hope you remember this. I had this long-winded theory that had dated back to uh, whatever season it was, I can't remember, but somewhere in the middle where I was convinced that the Night King was the Mad King, like they were one and the same. I do remember that, yeah. I was watching it one night, and I remember I turned to Mickey and was like, the Night King is the Mad King. Don't you understand? Like, you know, like, like they have to be the same person. Like, he can fly a dragon and, like, he's Daenerys's father and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I've figured it out. That's it. Like, <laughs> he's going to have to kill her own father. But, like, you know, that never seemed to be addressed. So maybe I'll just pretend that that was true. They screwed you over, man. Do you ever watch that stuff and think, because I do this sometimes, because I I grew up a wrestling fan and I knew you were a long time, but to kind of tie it back into that, do you ever sit there and wonder, like, can wrestling be booked? Like, if I had to put it in wrestling terms that I've heard, and obviously I'm not, like, in the business, so don't take it as a sign of disrespect if I try to use, like, some of these terms, but, like, that, that ending season, especially the last few episodes it seemed like a you know what they call like hot shot booking or whatever you know like it just seemed like do you ever think about that when you're watching that stuff do you think about like oh could we get storylines that work this way i definitely i definitely see parallels sometimes and see things where 
I think to myself, like this, this, the cynical part of me, but the part that's also been around some of it sees a situation where I think, okay, this looks like the network have influenced this show. Like, oh, we did a focus group and it turns out people really like when there's uh, car chases or or when everybody all comes together into a big thing. So suddenly there's like five of them in the next season, you know? And and just because I I saw some of that with Spike, you know, at TNA, like I remember, I remember once we did a, we had this big, big thing set up and, and we had this really like for by TNA standards anyway, you know, in terms of budget and stuff like very, you know, high, high budget, like expensive, elaborate kind of shot set up for, for an episode of impact. And it was basically where all of the main characters in the show were all going to kind of come together into this big sort of fight and brawl that, that spilled out all over this, not just the arena, but like the back lot, the universal studios and all, all around. And the idea was that it was just like, everything's coming to a coming to a head all boiling over and everyone's like having this thing they brought in like junker cars for us to smash and like f- you know fight onto and everything and it, it was it was all the main event mafia so like sting kurt kevin nash like scott uh, booker you know and there was uh, um, me and doug british invasion beer money you know the dudleys it was just like all the all the one people who were involved in any sort of any major angles stuff right we set all this stuff up and they shot it really well. They did it with like some of it. They used security camera footage. You know, some of it they had like roaming cams and obviously stuff happening in the arena was just shot with the with the regular setup. And, stuff. and it came together really, really well. And it, it, it did like a really good number and got a huge response. So then suddenly <laughs> within the space of about three months, we'd done about five of them. And they were basically like, oh, yeah, Spike basically said they really liked it when when we did more of that. So they want more of that. And so, like, <laughs> you know, and we were kind of like, don't they understand that the, uh, the reason that it worked was that it's very, very sparingly like it has to happen like organic. There's like, no, they don't care. They just want more of it. You know what I mean? And and yeah. so I see shows sometimes where I, I sort of like the first three or four seasons and then they start to become like a parody of them. I see that a lot, especially with network shows. They almost become a parody of themselves by the time they get to like seasons four or five because the network have tinkered with it too much. And they're like, oh yeah, we think you should have more like this and more of that. So suddenly it's just the whole show is that, you know, and you just think, oh, great. I was listening to this interview with Rob Zombie the other day. Well, at first they were talking about reviews and he you know, he was like, I stopped reading reviews when I started seeing who wrote them. And, mm. and he's like, all right, this this fucking guy. OK, but right. no, he was saying that as far as notes, he talked about making his Halloween films that he made. And he made it for like the Weinstein Company or something. He was like every day. It was like just random notes. You should do this and you should do this. And anyway, to, to my point, he was kind of saying sometimes the executives were good. They would come in and say, like, yeah, this thing doesn't work or this thing does work. And he's like, but then they feel it necessary to give you five to 10 suggestions of what you should right. be doing to make it better. And he's like, nah, you know, actually, all I needed was for you to just shut up after the first part. Like, it yeah. didn't work. Got it. Well, Let me and figure that just, out. You know, and we see, and you see this a lot, or used to be, you know, a lot of the time with, with wrestling creative types is that, like, they feel like if they don't, alter something that they haven't done their job and then they feel like that they won't be needed so they'll get fired or whatever so then they they tinker with it for the sake of tinkering with it just so they can be like oh yeah this is my you know i'm needed i'm important you see you know you see that a lot with with tv wrestling all right so i'm gonna get into some of the stuff i don't want to you've got 
listen, I do my homework. I'm, I'm trying. Like if I, if I get an important guest like you, sir, on, I try to do my homework. I have read and heard probably every damn interview you've ever done. And so you have, you have been out there a lot. And I, I want you to know I appreciate that you're very accessible, but I don't want to cover a lot of ground that like everybody else has covered. So I'm not going to make you like explain your whole past and everything again. I, uh, I did want to say I don't know where Kingsland is, but I have always respected the cloverleaf as a finisher. Me because of Dean Malenko. Um, when I was growing up watching wrestling, Dean Malenko was cool, the man of a thousand holds. I always thought he was just a badass in the ring. Like what made you settle in on that? <laughs> it's, it's really, I wish that there was a more interesting story to it, but honestly, I had taken some time off at TNA uh, to do a play. And when I, I think that was it. And then when I came back, I, I thought, you know, I need a submission hold because I just felt like it, it's a great thing to be able to have in, in terms of storytelling in a match and, you know, and creating drama is, you know, I just feel like a submission hold just has a different, sort of flavor to it and so I, I like the idea of having a signature submission hold rather than just you know a signature finishing move and I remember thinking you know Bret Hart's one of my heroes probably you know he along with Flair are probably my two biggest influences you know and then closely followed by Triple H and Harley Race as far as people who I sort of model myself after in the ring um, right. or sort of borrow a lot from as far as like sort of in-ring stuff you know obviously so Bret's finished the sharpshooter and so I, I just remember thinking to myself, well, I can't do the sharpshooter, but I don't think anyone's really doing the cloverleaf anymore. And that's kind of cool. And, and I remember being in the dressing room with uh, Frankie Kazarian and just saying like, hey, Frankie, do you know how to do a Texas cloverleaf? He's like, yeah, sure. I was like, can you show me? And, just, and, then we, and that was it. Like, and we, he just grabbed someone and slapped it on him and showed me. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, thanks. And, I was like, and then that's, I just did that. <laughs> you you think that that's a non-story, but it's actually more fun that it's just a random weird story. Ironically, in a, and it wasn't planned that way. It was just serendipitously. Frankie, I think, was the first guy that I beat with it in TNA. Nice. He regrets that to this day. So he, <laughs> he, 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 he took very good care of me. I was very green. You, you did a great interview over at, I, I want to say it was Cultaholic or something like that. The yeah. Desert Raps one? Yes, yes. So I was listening to that one, and, and, and it's a great interview. I recommend it for anybody. But, um, yeah, you, you get to talk a lot about your, your influences in wrestling. And so you, you mentioned you, you came to Harley through Triple H. Yeah. Like he had kind of referenced Harley a bunch, and you, you respected Triple H. I gotta, who, who is your guy? Like, I mean, if you had to pick, is it, is it Brett? I know King of the Ring, 93, Brett and Kurt was one of your big matches. That's my ultimate favorite match. Yeah, that's like my go-to match. I can watch. I've watched it over a hundred times easily. I want you to know that I watched it today, and it is a badass match. I had unsubscribed from the network for. I mean, I've I've been unsubscribed for like five or six months, but because of that interview, I resubscribed just so I could watch that match and Backlash two thousand between Rock oh, and yeah. Triple H. Of course, WrestleMania fifteen. You mentioned Rock and Austin, but but is. Is like Brett your guy, or like Triple H is your ultimate, or uh, you know now I'd say Flair probably. Yeah. Um, I, you know it just, I think Flair just I, I think re, well in recent memory just because of my role as NWA champion that that Rick in my opinion is the best worker of all time because he was always able to make his match feel the most important you know and 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 
the world title feel as important as it needed to. If you go back and, and look at the late 80s NWA pay-per-views and Clash of the Champions and stuff like that, the WWF at that point had become the number one. Like they were, they were the ones with all the fame, you know, like they were the ones with the sort of mainstream credibility. You know, they had celebrities to the show and they had Madison Square Garden and they, the guys were doing the Tonight Show and they were all over television stuff. But the crowds at WWF shows didn't sound like the crowds at NWA shows. Right. They just right. They, like the crowds at NWA shows. It was that you felt like you were a sporting event like they, you know, that was a world heavyweight title fight. That was like a Mike Tyson fight. It felt important. It wasn't like these those these people were not there because it was flavor of the month or because they wanted to sort of have fun. Like this was life or death to those people. And that's what Flair was able to do better than anyone else for longer than anyone else. And I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to make it feel like when I'm in the ring defending the NWA title, this is the only thing that matters in professional wrestling right now. You know, when you when you sort of fast forward to Cody and I are all in, you know, or then or then again at NWA 70 and then me and Marty at the Crockett Cup, it's like we were able to do it. But obviously Cody and I all in was was the most, you know, was the, the best example of it, I suppose, to sort of punctuate that point and that feeling because it was the, the bigger crowd and, and we had the attention of the whole wrestling world. That's what Rick was able to do more than anyone else for longer than anyone else. So that's and I'd go, OK, well, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like that. No, I mean, I think we're we're close to the same age. We're both in our thirties, but like, were you more of a WWE guy, like growing yeah, up? That's all I had access to, you know. Like, I in England, you know, the WWF had such a strong presence compared to WCW, and and even during the late nineties, when WCW was the number one show in the US, you know, in the in the UK, I can say you from my point of view, like the perception was not even close. You know, like it was everyone, you know, the WWF is Coca-Cola, you know, the WWF is McDonald's. It's like, if you think of wrestling, you think of the WWF or that's how it was perceived in the UK, you know, by then, because obviously our own, our own territory, our own, uh, you know, world of sport wrestling had, had disappeared. It was gone. So, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. It's kind of sad that it happened that way, because I think even over here, like I know it's, it's not because, you know, the, the, they didn't, their, their product, the, the world of sport TV product wasn't good enough. They didn't move with the times. They were, they were simply broadcasting, you know, a, a, a house show with, you know, all the guys who, who became household names. They, they were good for their era, but they, after them, there was no one else to sort of take that mantle who could compare to the, the level of spectacle of, of, you know, Hulk Hogan or anyone like that. Like it, and they just, you know, the presentation wasn't there. Like they just didn't make enough effort to create a, you know, a comparable product in terms of professionalism, in terms of um, presentation. You know, ultimately, like we all know this, so we can all have our opinions on what goes on in, you know, in, in a 20 by 20 ring or an 18 by 18, depending on where you are. But ultimately, we all know deep down it doesn't it doesn't matter if it doesn't look good enough to to get people to keep watching. You know, like I always when you're a kid, you get told, don't judge a book by its cover. This is the dumbest advice I ever heard, because (laughs) if that if that was really true, then why would people spend so much time worrying about what the cover of their books look like? Why is every book on your bookshelf different? Why are they not all the exact same 
cover with just different letters. No, because we don't do that. Every single second is is asking the people to pay attention to you when there's, and now more than ever, there are so many options out there, limitless options out there. So visually, it's got to measure up and, you know, World of Sport didn't. And we and we think of that with the NWA. Like, you know, we, we get a lot of people that suppose that our product is going to be this throwback product for the sake of being a throwback like we're like we're sort of civil war reenactors you know like <laughs> dressing up like the old and doing things like the old days just for the sake of it and that's not true at all we're, we're but it would be an interesting character change for you yeah sure we're just and billy's talked about this in interviews before too it's like the people get off on the wrong exit because they think that because we we do things like we use the old school graphics at the crockett cup that like we're just we're going to do it like and pretend that it's never left. And it's like, no, and we're embracing who we are today, like with a modern delivery system. We just basically ask the question, if this show never went away, what would it look like today? And we're doing what we think it might look like. I wish that I could disagree that people think that. But I, I know that when the Crockett Cup was going on, I was on the Instagram page for like the NWA. And I saw like a couple of people say something about like, you got to change that logo or get with the times or blah, blah, blah. Boy, boy, because... I'm like, do you not understand what's going on? I feel like this is pretty obvious. Right, right. Um, Just remember, these are the same people that then complain when the WWE changes their world title belt, you know, every five years. Oh, man, don't even get me started on that. No, but yeah. I'm not, and I'm not criticizing WWE for doing that, but the, these same people that say we need to change the logo are the same ones who are criticizing them for changing theirs. We've made a, we made a decision very early on. This is why I fit so well with the NWA culture and, and vice versa, because I, as a person and as a professional in this industry, made a conscious decision not to be governed by fear of recreationally unhappy people online, right? Right. And that's the nwa culture too if you don't like it that's cool sorry try something else we're not saying we don't want everyone's business but if if we can't please you because like we're not going to change the logo because you know cm punk fan 619 wants us to that's not how it works and hey give us another give us another chance down the road or don't but we 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 know we're not going to please everyone and we're not going to be governed by the fear of people who are recreationally unhappy i want you to know that i couldn't resist i had to uh to look that up and there's definitely a person with the twitter account cm punk fan 619 and that is <laughs> he's probably saying hey i'm a fan of the nwa guy i didn't why the hell did that guy just call me out i never said anything about it. i never said anything <laughs> I, I do have to ask you something about the early days for you, though, real quick, because I, I just I, I'm just curious about this for you. You say that around 14 or 15, you kind of decided that that wrestling was going to be the thing for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, like, what do you think it is that clicks for some people that way that it works for you? Like, I, I'm in my 30s now and I finally pretty recently just decided, screw it. I got to start doing stuff I actually care about or i'm just gonna be miserable and die so like you chose it pretty early on and now i'm like you know what i can do a thing where i talk about wrestling and it can be a hobby i have and here yeah. i am but it's just like what what is that is that parents or is it like did you have I, some I, I guess, special I, chip I, I guess i guess so i don't know i wish i had the answer but i'm i'm glad and I do, I do think myself lucky and very fortunate every day that I, even if it didn't all pan out the way I wanted it to, and even though there are, you know, there, there are always going to be days where, where I'll go like, God, this is, the, this is what I chose to do with my life. You know, 
I do think myself very lucky that I um, just for whatever reason had this conviction, you know, and just had found this found this thing that I'm passionate about, found my calling in life. And all I can say is that, you know, I work very hard to try to to not lose the innocence of youth in my thinking. I, I try very hard to not let real life bog me down in my decisions because when I was a teenager, all I had to worry about was lifting weights and getting girls or, you know, going to a party with my friends and then, and then wrestling came along. So all I had to do was like just consuming as much wrestling as I could and just, just dreaming about it and visualizing it and fantasizing about being a wrestling star, you know, cause I didn't have to worry yet about bills or insurance or, you know, every other facet of real life. How am I going to pay for, how am I going to pay for all this stuff? Wait, this costs money too. Oh, and that, and all these other things that my parents pay for. Like, oh wow! Like, wait, I thought this was a good job, and I still can't make ends meet. Like, oh, I can't do all the things I used to do whenever I want, when I want. Uh, you know, those things. Oh, and you know, once you get, once you become an adult, relationships don't kind of begin and end over this over the cycle of a few weeks. You know, typically, and then so when when they do, it's more painful and more complicated. And you know, <laughs> the so it's like all of these things weigh you down and then you know if you start to enjoy a modicum of success like i did early on then you know all of this is also then you have to also add to that the idea that this is all happening under a microscope you know it's happening in the public eye now i have to be even though you don't you don't have to necessarily care what other people think professionally you do like you do have to be cautious of your perception and you know in the public eye so like i try sometimes to just think back like and that's one of the reasons why I think I do go back and watch all those old stuff, things so many times over and over, because it's my way to sort of travel back to that period of time and remember how I felt at that time. Because if I can make people feel the way I felt when I saw those milestone moments and those matches or those moments or those interviews, whatever they might be, then I'm then that's what I got into this business to do, you know, and I can reclaim some of that thinking and that lost youth like I'll, I'll use this as a good example ultimate warrior i thought his hall of fame speech was just incredible like i just thought it was such a fascinating insight into his mindset and why he was able to capture everyone's imagination because he didn't think like everyone else in wrestling when i first went full-time in wrestling i've been a full-time professional wrestler since i was 18 when i i got into the business and i went full-time with brian dixon and it was, you know, six days a week for a good portion of the year. And you were, so you were around, you know, on the, you know, around the same people all the time, you know, wrestling every day and stuff. And Tom and I, Tom Latimer and I were, were there together and we're same age. And for us, we were just like, this is great. We get to wrestle all the time. And like, we would just sit there and, you know, we'd watch all these DVDs of like our favorite matches. And then we'd be talking about it. You know, and, and then the old timers would make fun of us. And, you know, the other, the, the lifers, that we, as we call them, the firm is what we called all star, right? Right. Like they would sort of make you, they would try to belittle you and make you feel stupid for sort of having passion, you know, for like being a mark. Oh, you're a punter. These that, you know, you're a mark. Like, you know, you, you're watching all these, Oh, who are you watching this with? You know, Bret Hart and you know, or this person, because it was like, you know, this sort of weird mentality that existed that now that you're in the business, you're supposed to be kind of salty about it you know what i mean or you're supposed to only only uh only marks kind of have dreams you know it was very sort yeah. of very cynical but it's you know also very typical of sort of british 
culture and mentality and stuff. One of the reasons why I wanted to come to America, but you know, cause I used to really grind me because I used to think I'm, but I, you know, but I also remember thinking like, fuck that. Like, I don't think like, I'm not thinking like that. I want to perform every day and this is great. And this, and, and you know, and this is, this is everything I want to do, but I want to do it and make money. Like I want to do it and be, I want to be serious about this. Like I want this to be a career, not a job, you know? Cause if you're doing that full time, like, the amount of money you're making, it's a job. It's not a career. And right. I want well, it to be my career. Yeah. And you, but I mean, even deeper than, and, and all of that just makes me even more fascinated by it because everything you're saying just seems like there's even more working against you being able to be so, I don't know a better word than hard headed about you're going to do this thing. I mean, you went into, you did the the show Gladiator. You were uh, yeah. Oblivion. I, I've heard you talk about that was kind of a means to an end. I mean, did you know that? Did you know that that was like a doorway to like get you to the next step? Or it was just like, uh, I've got to take I, this I job? I was, I really thought it was going to be cool to be a celebrity, you know, and I was like, I was, you know, that was the first time where I was, a, and, and, honest, and uh, honestly, I've never been that famous since. For the time that that show was on, and and especially during the time where it was being promoted, the first season, the premiere was being promoted and stuff, like because of the just this sheer amount of advertising and stuff everywhere, I was famous, like really, like for a minute there, like a genuine celebrity in the UK, and I not you know certainly not like paparazzi level sort of every day and stuff, but paparazzi would get me here and there. You know, and there would be these like random stories like pop up in the national newspapers where I'd think, huh? You know, like and, and and it was like I would go to the same places I always been before and suddenly realize like, oh, I this isn't like as simple as that anymore. I can't just walk into somewhere because like everybody's staring at me and now all my family or my girlfriend at the time or whatever. And they'd be like, This is weird. So there was like a genuine, you know, period there where it was like Wow, I'm like I'm a celebrity, but in terms of when I was doing the show, and I, I don't know, I guess because I had studied the business so much, uh, I had sort of developed uh, an understanding of things as far as just you know uh, knowing a little bit about how television networks operate and things like that. That I and I just looked at the the landscape and went, <laughs> certainly Gladiators is not going to be my career for a sustained period of time we'll be lucky if we get i thought we might get three or four seasons you know i was i was a little i was a little disappointed that it ended after two but you know i already had learned about how wrestling got taken off the air in the uk right it got taken off the air despite still having the best you know ratings of of anything on the you know what i mean so i already and and it was basically what it came down to was the new guy that took over the channel just didn't want anymore he thought it was beneath them to have wrestling right right so i had already developed a healthy sort of skepticism of that and knowing that that could happen and that's exactly what happened with gladiators this new guy took over sky one even though gladiators was the highest rated show on the network and just decided he didn't want to do it anymore he wanted to he wanted a talk show like we don't have enough of those already and he did a shit talk show with some ex soap star or something you know what i mean and just because you know this is what people do they and it's the same th same thing happens in wrestling companies like new guys take over like they did at tna and stuff and they want to put their stamp on it they they can't they don't want to assume controls of the ship they want a whole new ship you know they have to put their stamp on things like oh i'm changing this and i'm changing that and i'm 
going with these guys and I'm bringing in my people. And, you know, it's just, that's, that's just, that's human nature, you know? So I, I just, I developed a healthy skepticism, which was good because it also, it, it also forced me to squeeze every single bit out of it I could because I would say that you know like I remember one of the guys on that show Sam who was Atlas on that show we would have some of these conversations and he'd be like what are you saying you know why are you trying to do this and then why are you trying to use this to as a stepping stone to to go to America and be you know and wrestling he's like and I'd be like this isn't gonna last and he couldn't believe it you know he was like but you're on tv now like I don't understand and I'd be like this this show's not gonna last like I said I'm gonna squeeze every single bit out of it I can and I'm gonna take every booking I can every media booking I can every you know every every media opportunity and I'm gonna use it to build my profile and that's it because he just he like I think he he was a bodybuilder but like he just he didn't work in entertainment you know he came from like like finance or something you know what i mean so like you weren't even like the most well liked you understood the value of like i oh, guess the heel I, heat right like i was the heel character on it and and that's the thing is that the tv people in typical tv fashion looked at the show from the 90s and went well we had wolf who was like the one bad guy so we need the one bad guy this time because of course you know like that's the way it has to work right and again because all of the guys on that show with the exception of Dwayne, Dwayne Ladejo, who was on that show, who, who was an Olympic silver medalist and had had some TV uh, experience, but only, you know, like as a broadcaster. So he wasn't really from the entertainment world either, but none of them, they all came from like athletics or bodybuilding or one was a Marine and stuff like they didn't. So when they, when the, the producer said, okay, we need one person, we need a bad guy. We need a villain character. I like shot my hand up thinking everyone would be like, please pick me. I remember going in that day thinking to myself when I knew this was going to come, you know, I knew they were going to sort of say like, what, who wants to be like, what characters and stuff. I remember thinking I'm going to fight. I've got to, I'm going to have to really hone my pitch to be like the heel character in this. Cause everyone's going to want to be the heel character and nobody wanted to be the heel character. Every, all the other guys are like looking at their feet and stuff. And I was like, me, please. I 100%. And they were just like, really and i was like yeah are you kidding like absolutely and they were like oh thank god like we didn't think anyone want to do it and i was like are you kidding like of course i want to do it you know like i couldn't believe that no one else got it do you know what i mean and and fast forward like six months and i just i smoked everybody in terms of uh, appearance requests so i made a lot more money because like those man those those uh, sky television like corporate appearances and stuff were like silly money sometimes i was you know i was just like for a 21 year old kid i was just like this is unbelievable you know it was like more money than i'd ever seen and i just remember by the time we came back for season two like all of those guys were just like oh maybe maybe i could be uh, maybe i could try being a bad guy you know and they were just like <laughs> <Right>. nope <laughs> <laughs> too late so it seems like your whole life has been prepping for one thing because i mean you got into uh, i think like bodybuilding early on you were a fan of like uh dorian the eights right and uh yeah yeah and arnold and frank, frank zane uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah all those classic yeah so it feels like you're you're building up and building up you've hit this like peak of celebrity but then like what happens when the show gets canceled because somewhere already, in between there you end up at like harley school well or something. i no i no 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 i the, i went to harley school before gladiators oh it was before gladiators okay okay i uh i actually went to i went to harley's camp in 07 and um it was a few months after i got back from that is when i got approached about doing this show called the Thunderdome Games, which was like a live 
theaters it was like a sort of live uh, motorcycle stunt show where they needed a rest they wanted a wrestler to play the character of like the judge who was kind of like the live host of this show because they wanted someone who kind of was big and imposing and because it was kind of like a mad max type I was set to right? say it, this sounds fun yeah yeah it was this like post-apocalyptic and it was all just like stunt riders and right so it was like these guys that do like the motocross stunt show things and they ride in the thunderdome and all that and that was like the whole thing right but they want it was like a themed one so like i basically went i was like ah now the scorpions will attempt to ride the thunderdome you know whatever right <laughs> the director of that show happened to well it wasn't really a wrestling fan but he understood wrestling the same way that the head of the network who at the time of when he put gladiators on richard wolf he he understood wrestling like he didn't he, he didn't necessarily have to be a big fan of it but he knew like these guys are real entertainers and he understood that we had many conversations about it about how wrestling influences real sports not the other way around wrestling is always ahead of the curve in terms of television production like and other sports always end up borrowing things from wrestling whether they want to admit it or not it, most of the time it starts at pro wrestling so anyway i'm i'm 100% with you yeah so carl understood that the director of that, that show and then he had actually just like we'd done the show, I've been fine, you know, and, and then he, he contacted me a few we, a few months later and had said, he said, hey, do you, do you know how to swim? And I was like, yes, Carl, I was in the national championships when I was in high school. Yeah, I can swim. And he was like, okay, good. He's like, you afraid of heights? I was like, no, I'm not afraid of heights. I was like, these are weird questions. What do you want? He's like, oh, they're bringing gladiators back. I got you an audition. And I was just like, what? <laughs> and that was that. So, yeah, no. And um, But to answer your question, we did uh, season one we shot in, it was around like spring of 2008. And I remember watching WrestleMania at the hotel. Uh, so it must have been around like April time when we were filming. Anyway, um, somewhere towards October, November of that year was when I got put in touch with Dixie. And then by the time we had got the dates for season two, I had already signed with TNA. So like their initial sort of intention, they're basically their initial intention was like, well, you you come work for us, but you know, when you need to shoot gladiators, you'll just go back and shoot it kind of thing. But I signed with TNA at like the end of 2008 and we already had this, we were, I was shooting season two and then I had a play booked. I had pantomime, which is like a Christmas tradition in the UK is like, they do these sort of, um, they do these plays all over the country and all the theaters all over the country. They do huge business. Bret Hart's actually done one before. And um, they basically always cast celebrities in sort of certain roles. There was like stage adaptations of fairy tales. So I was doing um, Snow White uh, and I was already, I had already been booked for it and it's good money. So I basically said, okay, I can start after that. So I just happened to be available at the time of the UK tour, which was January. So I started there and then went over and debuted on TV with that horrible Brutus Magnus gimmick. But any, but yeah, by the time I, by the time we, I found out that um, they called us and said that it was, you know, Gladiators wasn't going to get renewed for another season. I was just kind of like, oh, well, that's disappointing. But I was already a hundred percent just like, in, you know, I was in TNA now. Like I, I can't, it's weird to describe to you. Like I didn't, <laughs> didn't give a shit. You're already Even doing what you want to do. People, yeah, even though everywhere I went, people recognized me. It's like, you're that guy from Gladiators or whatever. I was doing what I wanted to do now. And so, like, when they, I was just kind of, in a way, I was sort of relieved because I was just like, 
cool i don't want to miss anything i don't want to miss tv you know i don't want to miss like i was i think by the time that happened i was in the british invasion with doug so i was like oh this is great you know i just wanted to get stuck in i uh not to sound like a dick i didn't see much of tna i remember you coming into tna i remember seeing the brutus magnus character but i was actually i don't know what happened to me then uh so i don't want you to be offended that i didn't see much of this if, if you didn't see much of it that's probably why you're a fan of me now <laughs> Well, I don't know if you have uh, on on most of the smart TVs and everything. There's a channel called Pluto TV, and uh, Pluto has an and a TNA like Impact Wrestling channel. Like it oh. is twenty four seven, just Impact. And so, like sometimes I'll throw on Pluto and I have to pick a channel. And the other day I was actually putting on Pluto and I I watched you and um it was like a five on five and I was not watching during this time, but it was like you guys versus Aces and Eights. And it was like you and Sting and freaking Rampage was in there. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, AJ yeah. was there. And I was like, yeah. what is this? I, oh, I yeah. missed all this that would, somehow. That would have been like that would have been like 2013. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I, I was thinking that maybe you had like a, a setback with the Gladiator scene. But it sounds like you kind of got to move right into this. And you were still pretty young during this time, right? Like, so you yeah, were, I was 21. I was 21 when I signed 22 when I debuted. Yeah. So you'd have been on top of the world during this time. What I, what I was going to get to is, like, I mean, I, I didn't see, like, a ton of the TNA stuff, but I know during the time that, I, I mean, every story that I hear is, like, just the backstage was really rough, and it sounds like you really? and, well, I mean, you hear, I, I don't know, I guess I hear the stories that, like, by the end of your run, I, here's by the, the end of by the end of my run, there was there was tension, but it was really only between me and John Gaburik, who was running the company at that point. Okay, okay. Like so, it, wasn't, it wasn't like bad atmosphere like all around. Ken Anderson and I were having this conversation the other day, actually, where we were saying, you know, people like to sort of run down. People you love to run down TNA during that era, like, and you know. I know that it does it does technically still exist today with you know Impact Wrestling, but it's just it's just a it's just not it's like a completely different company. You know what I mean? It's like it's literally got completely new owners, new people. It's not, none of it is this. It, there's there's zero part of that company that's you know that's the same. So I just don't even think of it as the same company. You know, like all, all the all that this current sort of incarnation is, it just owns the name Impact. You know what I mean? But anyway, and the library. But like we were talking about, and I'm only saying that to give context to what I'm saying here because I can't speak to what it is now. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying like that this is the case today. But me and Ken were talking about TNA when we were there. People used to like to run it down all the time. You know, despite the fact that it was the number two promotion, a really good viable alternative for people which is always healthy for business anything that happened backstage you know the sheets and everyone would just blow it up like oh it's chaos because they wanted it to be like wcw you know what i mean like because they, they'd heard all this stuff about wcw but it had all a lot of it had happened during the sort of infancy of the internet that i think that this was like the internet's way to sort of have like oh this is like wcw all over again right they wanted it to be like that because it was so many right. of the same players and we were saying like the atmosphere backstage was always great I, all all I heard from, and you know, obviously we would, we had a very typical, you know, we had a very WW, WCW-esque approach in the sense of like, oh, this guy's leaving WWE, cool, well, let's give him a job, you know, like there was some of that, you know, in the water supply, but all I would hear from all of those guys was how like the, how much tension and how, you know, how, how careful they had to be at WWE and how much politics they were backstage and stuff and how here at TNA they loved it because everybody was just going about their business and everybody was cool with each other and there was no like rules and no heat or no you know 
bullshit. And I don't mean like no rules as in everyone gets to do what they want, but I mean like no silly like locker room rules. Like there weren't all this like unnecessary etiquette bullshit and stuff. I almost feel guilty for even saying that then because, you know, obviously I don't know myself. But like, it- don't get me wrong, Gary. We would obviously like, you know, some some of the you know, dumb stuff that happened, like we'd all be like shaking our heads and like we would all get frustrated when you have a card that's like, okay, let me get this straight. A live event that has like Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Beer Money, Samoa Joe, like the X Division guys, all this young talent. And and, like, we've got 200 people here. Like someone's not doing their job, guys, because I just, Jeff Hardy could draw 3000 people by himself. So, you know, we, we would we would have that frustration sometimes where we would be like, what's happening here? Like there's we're not burying anyone, but we're saying like there's an institutional failure going on here. Like because like we should be drawing more than a few hundred people, you know, and, and it's like so there would be those discussions. But the actual like atmosphere among the boys was like phenomenal. So you worked your way up through there and you yeah. ended up as the champion and you had feuds with everybody that. I mean, names that everybody would know now as far as from like AJ Styles to Sting, Samoa Joe, like all these yeah. guys. So like what what was it that made you leave that area? Because I mean, I think part of where my mind was is like I hear these stories about maybe Lagana and Billy not having se- – or at least Billy. Maybe it. Maybe it's just Billy. But like, there was like some issue there. That happened independently of me, and that was after I had already left. Billy's first day in TNA was my last day. Us working together is almost, um, you know, a separate. You know, it really has. I know. I see. I see comments sometimes to the effect of, "Oh, you know, Billy's just take, you know, making it sort of his his it's 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 Corgan's TNA again kind of thing." Like, because oh, it's you know Nick Aldis and James Storm and Eli Drake stuff. It's like, well, Billy and I didn't work together in TNA for one. He, he, I think he had like one. He might have had one bit of input on like my one of my very last in ring angles like one of my last my last angle with with James Storm in TNA cuz my last my last angle was with Storm in TNA billy might have had like one little bit of input on that you know th- that's it so we did you know we, our relationship exists solely in the NWA sphere as far as like conflicts and stuff you know i chose to leave because i got put in a I got put in an unwinnable position. AJ was leaving. I won the title. And then instead of just kind of going with that and just kind of, you know, saying AJ vacated his title or whatever, they, they put me into this, you know, unwinnable position where the heat that was on the company went on to me in terms of, because that was, that was really when the entire audience now was, was subject to sort of being reactive to not only the storyline that was happening, but the, how the sausage is made online. You know what I mean? Like where that, that was, you know, which is obviously now is like part of the course in all wrestling. But at that time it was when it was really first becoming like the norm was like, no, you can like, we, we need to approve of you as, as a, as a human being behind the scenes, as much as we need to buy into your character and stuff. I got thrown in with this sort of dirty bathwater of like, you know, management messing up and letting AJ go and AJ leaving. And, you know, AJ was the sort of heart and soul of the, of that brand for a lot of people. And, you know, I just, and then, and then I just, it was, I had spent five, I was like six years in that company. And by the time I won the title, it had been like four, four and, you know, four and change to work. Like you said, work my way up through every position on the company, every, I'd been every match on the card. And when I won the title from, you know, in the match with Jeff, at the end of the year, 
I remember feeling like there was a real sort of positivity towards it. Like it was done at the right time. Like I had had a really good year, 2013. Like they'd done a really good job between like Bruce Pritchard and Jeff Jarrett and, you know, some of the other guys involved at the, at the, at the first part of that year. They'd done a really good job of like, of positioning me in a way where I could get over on my own and not, and not feel like it was really forced, you know, like it taken time. And uh, Eric Bischoff had been involved with a lot of that. Like his, like my stuff with Sting was like Eric's baby, you know, and, and I, I always, always, I'm always grateful to Eric for that, you know, because they really took their time with it. And I, by the time I got to, you know, to the title, it wasn't this thing anymore of like, Oh God, they're putting the title on this guy. It was like people genuinely, you could, I saw a, you know, a great deal of positivity towards it. Like, wow, this is really, you know, this is great. Like a new direction for the, this is a homegrown star, you know, that's like, this is their homegrown guy that, that, you know, that has, they've groomed from a green, you know, 21 year old kid all the way up to, you know, to this. And he's like reaching his sort of physical peak and, you know, and, and this is great. Like this is what TNA needs to do to, you know, to continue to, to work. And it was like, they just, it just managed to just fucking evaporate in the space of like three weeks of television. And maybe and, this and, is like, the, you can't the... explain to someone how that feels because everyone, you know, because a lot of the old timers and stuff, and even the people, some of the people that worked there, like agents and stuff, would be like, you know, you got to enjoy it and stop asking so many questions and stop being so difficult and stuff. And I'd be like, I'm, I'm not trying to be difficult. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I've, you know, <laughs> this isn't working. Like I've, like th th this isn't like I'm, you know, and it's my business because it's like. That's the that's the fundamental difference between wrestling and almost any other sh entertainment. Like if if a character in a in a TV show, like any show, like take Game of Thrones or anything, if there's some character that just kind of doesn't register with everyone, and so they just kind of go, yeah, well, you know, well, we we won't we won't give that a lot of attention the next season. That actor isn't marred for life. Like he. <laughs> He doesn't have like a mark on his people aren't going like, oh, I'm not going to book that actor for my show anymore, right. you know, because they understand that it's out of their control. Like, did they did they perform the role, you know, to the best of their ability? But in wrestling, it doesn't work like that because and it gets even more cloudy when you are your character is you, you know, so it's like like as in if you if you use your real name, you know, it's like you you have a responsibility to protect your own product. I, I used to, I made this analogy to John Gaburik when we were having one of these discussions. And I said, if I work in construction and someone gives me blueprints that fundamentally won't work and I still build that house and then that house falls down, people aren't going to walk past it and be like, who designed that house? They're going to say, who built that house? Right. You can't go, well, that's what they asked me to do. Nobody yeah. cares. They're just going to go like, oh, look at that house. It fucking fell apart. But whoever built that's a fucking idiot. Right. And, no, that and I, that's the analogy I use because it's like, sorry, but like, this is my responsibility. You know, this is my career. It's my, that's my, it's my product. Because I also understand that if I'm not writing the check that I don't get 100% say on it. 
but that's where the balance comes in. That's where you have to, you know, find that relationship. And Billy understands that because Billy has been an artist as well as an owner. Maybe that's a little bit of where I'm thinking of the issue being the perception of like what TNA was at, at one point. I mean, because I, I heard you mention in, in one interview that there was a point where it was like you and the Bucks and Okada all like sitting yeah. in the locker room doing nothing, you know, and yeah. it just sounds insane yeah. to anybody we, we, right Yeah. Nick and Nick and Matt and I talked about that before all in like hey remember remember when we you know when the the B the B team locker room at TNA was me the Bucks Okada uh I mean yeah. some other guys would hang out in there you know who weren't sort of beat like Joe would hang out in there a lot but like obviously he was you know he was established in the star and you know and ultimately part of you know part of my reason for Get breaking through was thanks to Joe. A big part of it, really, the biggest part of it was thanks to Joe. But yeah, yeah I remember at one point it was we, yeah, we especially with all in and stuff, we were just looking at it, going like, man, that like Jay Lethal was in that locker room. So it was like at one point, so like when when all in, Jay Lethal was the Ring of Honor champion. I'm the NWA World Champion. The Bucks are like on top of the world. Okada's the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Or I don't know if he was at that time or not, but I think he was. You know, and it's like, man. <laughs> Yeah, it just, I mean, to, to, to look at the landscape now of wrestling, that just seems insane that that you guys, I mean, you guys are all like leaders of your own promotions now. So it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's it almost seems. Well, and that's what happens in our line of work too, you know. I, Marty and I were having this conversation the other day because obviously there's, you know, a huge amount of speculation about where Marty's going to hang his hat come the end of the year. And, you know, we'd love to have him. I think he'd love to come work for us, but we also know that the likelihood of that happening is it's slim. And right. we just, you know, we, we talked about it and then obviously with Cody and the Bucks sort of being in the position they're in at AEW, you know, where it's like, you'd love this idea where you want to, all your friends all work in the same place and all work together and we're all making great money. But unfortunately there's only a certain amount of spots available in any one organization for that. So if you're going to reach your full potential, you got to stay away from your buddies sometimes. That's where you you got to take your mark hat off and put your business hat on. Because so is that to... is that how you're pitching it to Marty to come to NWA then? Because... No, in fact, it, in fact, it's the opposite of that. Because I'm saying Marty is Marty is absolutely qualified at this point to be the same thing that I am in a, in an organization. So he needs to go to whatever organization is going to allow him to be that person. That's what I mean. I think what I was thinking is like, well, if it's not AEW, then I mean, I don't know. I, I, don't, well, I don't like to yeah, shit on any companies, but I don't feel like it also, right, But it also comes down to, it also comes down to money. Well, yeah. You know, so it's like, what's going to be the best thing for your long-term business? Basically. I, I can't imagine being in that position. Definitely. Well, and I, I was in that position earlier this year when I was in, you know, in talks with AEW as well, because I was like, you know, the short term part of me was obviously like, oh, you know, I've got to jump in on this. Like this is, you know, all the energy in the in the wrestling world is plugged into this right now. Like, you know, if I make the job, I'm going to be I'm going to be plugged into that energy source. I'm going to be part of this. The other part of me goes long term. What's the long term? I wasn't even there yet, Nick, but I want to ask you about this because, I mean, I, I think you said you, you heard, like, Adam and I's conversation. But this is – yeah, this this part of it, like, irritates me a little bit. And, and maybe you can help me with my perspective here. But it's like these guys – listen, I, I, I watch Cody on 
online. You know, I don't know Cody personally, so I can't judge the guy's character. I mean, he seems like a really good guy. So everything I'm saying is, if anybody wants to drag anything out of this, it's just me ranting, and it's not Nick Aldis. It's it's Gary Horn talking. And um, back at the beginning of the NWA, there was this whole discussion about, like, right before All In, I remember Billy Corgan talking about the megalithic starship that exists over <laughs> here. And if all these people can join together, then they can fight this thing. But if they're all just like fighting amongst each other and that thing, then nothing's ever going to happen. Well, it seemed yeah. like we were on the cusp of well, we just just we we still we still believe that. Well, I, I, okay, so I was going to get there. Yeah, I mean, because it it feels like what happened is like these guys that created all in, they just decided all of a sudden to go build their own megalithic starship. And so they're like, well, we'll just have another big starship and we'll just fight it out over here to use Billy's, uh, you know, his example. But it's almost like uh, I think I told Adam, I was like, I can't take it as a slap in the face because it's not it's not me personally. But it's just like for you to tell it that they offer you this role and that you seem open to it. And I get it because it is hot. I mean, I watch people online drop off of NWA or everything else, Ring of Honor, MLW, everything, just because AEW became hot shit. But then you stuck with your guns on wanting to do something with NWA. And, and the way these guys started out, it sounded like you should be able to do both. And these, yeah, that's what this I talent would be able to that, work around everywhere. So it's just kind of frustrating to see that that is not the case well you have to remember that as much as they might want to portray it that way it's it's not cody and the bucks and kenny omega's company it's tony khan's company right so that pretty much answers your question he has a different idea of how he wants things to go i guess that's it really like we we had a good conversation tony and i and i just i got some insight into what he wants to achieve and and it, wasn't what I thought wasn't the same thing. You know, he wants to like, and I'm not, not suggesting that I wouldn't want to be a part of a show that's on TNT and everything like that. But it was, um, for me, I just, it's like I was saying before, you know, you have to make a decision based on what can you sustain for a longer period. I could go there and just be one of the guys. I just didn't necessarily feel like I would be, you know, utilized to my full potential. And that's not, and that's not saying, there's not a knock on anyone there or them at all. That's just because it's just a lot going on has, over there, man. And, yeah, and here you're the face of a, of a cup. And it, exactly. And I lend myself well to that particular role, I think, you know, so it's like, this is where I know I can do that role. It's just, you know, it's the same reason why we had to sort of distance ourselves from ring of honor because it's not in their best interests for me to be that person on their show. You know, they have their vision. They, you know, they have their vision of who they want to be that person. So then, of course, it just it is just it is genuinely like, OK, well, we can't have two. Of, you can't have two of these guys like we need we need to create the perception that this is the real world's championship. This is the world's championship. And that's what we were able to do. And, you know, the fact that we've been able to show that on a, multiple different platforms, then that's how we that's how we continue to do so. And. I do believe that there will be other platforms and including our own that we will continue to do that with so just for now, ever since AEW came along, it's put everyone back into this kind of territorial mindset a little bit. And that will, that will pass. 
hope you're as right. The chips, as the chips fall where they may, alliances will form, and ultimately, like, the audience always decides. That's something that Dave and I say a lot, you know, and that, because after a while, all the inter-promotional matches that never happened during the last boom, that's what I want. I don't, I don't need, this is just because I have, my passion is for the moments, you know, and for the history and the, and the, the things that will live forever in the minds of the fans. Now, yeah, I want to make money. I want to, you know, but I also want to have a sustainable business model. So for me, I'm perfectly happy if I headline like three pay-per-views in a year, if those three are important and those three are really feel like something special and something serious. I don't have to headline 12 pay-per-views a year that all blend together and no one can remember, right? I'd rather be the HBO premium of wrestling, you know, than, than the, you know what I'm saying? Like the, then no, the I know celebrity, like on the T on TV as much as possible. Like, Hey, everyone look at me, look at me. Like that's, that's not who I am. Like, I'm just not a look at me person. We, you had a, you be- had a good comment from like uh one thing I heard that, you know, you mentioned like when you were getting bogged down in some of this business stuff that like Scott Hall, I think, like put in a perspective for you. Scott always says, I just want to be a big time pro wrestler. Yeah. It just seems like, yeah. So, I mean, to, to, to back up just for a second, if we can, I mean, you, when your time with TNA came up, I mean, it sounds like you're coming at this thing. There's got to be some value that's important that you're doing what you want to do. Like, and, and you come at the NWA with, it almost seems like a chip on your shoulder because, uh, actually, you know, I hear that, but like at some point you got to let that go. That's not who I am now. I think that that's one of those things that people like to, to sort of, um, romanticize you know about us all like oh he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's got a point to prove you know i'm gonna prove everybody wrong i'm like i don't really want to prove anybody wrong like i don't care about people who you know who disparage me or doubt me right like it's not i'll tell you who i do want to prove i want to prove wwe wrong in the sense of you know all the times that they didn't give me a job and didn't let me make that kind make that money well, yeah. So, like, so actually, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking of, though, is because I'm not even talking about it's not like, ha- oh, haters on the internet or anything, level work, and all that kind of thing. Like, it's just, it's you know, it's 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 more just like if WWE aren't going to give me the platform to become the person I envision myself to be, then I need to make my own platform, and that's no different to what Cody thinks. The reason Cody and I had such good chemistry and created this, you know, this these this rivalry that people still hit me up about every day is because we're you know we we have the same objective we think the same thing like if we don't think that wwe owed us that i'm just pissed that they didn't okay i gotta i was just okay but it's just i've just got to go about it a different way i've got to reach my objective in a much i've got to take the long way around to reach the vision for myself that i had as a kid but all in was it was the first time that i felt like i'd got close where were you when, I mean, when TNA went out to hear you talk about it at some point, it sounds like there was this period of time where you almost thought it was over. Yeah. Like, so it, it almost feels like, you know what I mean? Like when I say chip on your shoulder, I mean that like, I feel like you had a, a moment there where it was in doubt that this was Viable. anything. Yeah. That, that this was going to keep going. That, that it, well, that, yeah, because, because, you know, but also because I'm a father, you know, and I have a, a, responsibility to my son to you know to to 
do the best I can for him. So it was like, you know, I wasn't going to not contribute, you know, so I've devoted my 10,000 hours to pro wrestling, but I would just as happily devote 10,000 hours to something else if, you know, if I could find the passion for it and it was a more viable way to make money and to, and to have a career and to, you know, provide uh, the right kind of lifestyle for my son. So not to get too personal, but I mean, was it a matter of there weren't opportunities or just that nothing that you thought was WWE, you know, they had been interested over the years, like when I was at TNA and then suddenly something happened and I'm not going to speak on it here, like what that was, Uh but, or who that, you know, who that was down to, but it was like, it just kind of something happened where it was like, there is no opportunity for you here. So I went, all right, you know, and had to, had to, and, and, and look, I don't know. I don't know where they stand on me today. I don't know if they even give a shit, but like, I just got to a point where I just said, I have to be, I have to be done chasing that now. Like I'm, I can't, it's because it's not, it's not like, it's not like, it's not about giving up. It's about me going like, what's my, what's my objective here? Is my objective just to get signed by WWE or is my objective to be a big time pro wrestler? Like Scott said, my objective is to be a big time pro wrestler. Well, there are, you know, many ways to skin a cat. The, and the one piece of advice that I give to guys that when I do seminars is your goal should be to be a star and draw money, not just to wrestle for the WWE, because guess what? Look how many people go there. Every single person that goes through the doors there, or at least 99% of them, they all think that they can headline WrestleMania, but some of them end up, you know, in the spirit squad or in the, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Like, and I'm not just, you know, I love those guys. I'm not disparate. And look, Ziggler is one of the, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. He's one of the, he's one of the I, best I, ever, I, ever put. I also think he would fit in really well at NWA. Honestly, like, if oh, he, I, I, can you imagine? I would, I would kill to work with that guy. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah, like he's ridiculous. Like he's he's the cross between Kurt Hennig and Shawn Michaels. Exactly. In the current, but here's my point on that. Here's a that's a perfect example of what I'm saying. In the current landscape. Just because their their preferences and the styles and the you know culture is different, I don't think he's necessarily held in the in the regard that he should be. And he's eaten a lot of shit, but at the same time, he's also had a hell of a career and made a boatload of money. So like I'm you know so I'm sure he's fine. But what I'm saying is is like if your only goal is to go to the WWE, you're putting you're putting your destiny in someone else's hands, hundred percent. You know, yeah. like you're basically working all the way up to this point and then going like, here you go. Don't break it, you know, <laughs> and it's like it's not there. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they're this big evil corporation, but they just they don't care enough about any one person to like to think, oh, I better better make sure this is the vision he had for himself <laughs> Like that. They can't do that. Yeah. And it's like, like that's just that's just the that's the nature of the beast, man. Like, I'm. Uh, it's not a. um you know, you can't say anything without it becoming like an indictment of anything. And that's not what I'm saying. I just I just kind of came to this epiphany that like, God, I've been sort of chasing that dragon for a long time. Right. If I, I catch it, like what happens? Like <laughs> I can't speak for your life or like what you're doing, but I obviously what you're doing now is something that I think hits home with a lot of people. I think I think it's a really important endeavor what you guys are doing. You've used the term serendipitous 
a, a couple of times and I, I mean I feel like this this just all worked out like <laughs> I have to ask you this and you mentioned that like Dave Lagana calls you up to tell you about the idea you know like, what are you doing well he basically and, and, said why aren't you at WWE like they've signed everyone like what's the deal and I was like I don't know but it's obviously something I heard I heard an interview with you with Jason Powell where you uh, you mentioned that you were at the time actually oddly enough working on a logo that was like the NWA logo but it was like yes. Nick Magnus Aldis I have to know about that I have to know what the deal is there I just I was looking at some T-shirts and thinking like oh what you know like what might be cool and I was like hey what if I did like a, a re- what if I did like a parody of the old NWA logo like that was it. You know, just just for just as a sort of novelty T-shirt idea, and I was like, "Yeah, I could just switch this over and be like Nick right, Magnuson." Right. Do you know what I mean? Just like throwing it out there that that may still work if you ever decide you want to do that. I just it was just so weird that that happened, and then I remember like a couple of weeks later seeing the seeing like the headline like Billy Corgan buys the end, and I'm thinking like, "Oh God, is he gonna fucking is he gonna think that I'm like making fun of him or throw or like." You know, we, I might have to oh, take yeah. it down. Da da da. Then um, I, I do remember bringing it up, and then, then like I took it off my pro wrestling tea store because I was like, "Oh yeah, I should probably take this. Go ahead and take this down now." Because oh, so good. it was up for a little while. Like, so somebody oh, yeah. out there may yeah, have it. It was, on, it was. I think it was. Yeah, it was in my pro wrestling tea store, and I, that was like when I just got. I just started doing pro wrestling teas and stuff. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Let's try these designs. You know what I mean? Like, and that was it. Weird, right? Weird coincidence. Yeah, that is a weird coincidence. So, I mean, around this time, I mean, I guess you'd probably gotten into a little bit more of the history, but I, I know you said Dave gets you on the phone with Billy. You end up talking to Billy for an hour, which, by the way, uh, and I say this with all due respect, as a huge fan of Billy and his work, getting in a conversation with Billy Corgan for an hour seems like difficult to do right off the bat because he seems like he is very to the point. He, he definitely is. Well, actually, he really did most of the talking. Like, really? Yeah, you know, Dave called me. I, I was kind of surprised because, you know, even though I had always got on with Dave, he wasn't really one of the people that I had stayed in touch with uh, after TNA. Not not deliberately or anything, just because, like, he was still there. And it's a weird thing that exists because it's like you don't want to be seen as, like, trying to get your job back. You know, it's, just, it's so sad, but, you know, like, these are the things that you have to think about in this business, right? So it's like, right. you know, you lose touch with people just based on the idea that, like, now you can't have a conversation without people wondering if there's an agenda. And you're just, just doing this podcast, my eyes have been opened on how weird this business is. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of nuance. And um, when he called me, I was thinking, like, I had seen him put the thing out, but uh, you know, when he had left TNA, like putting out a post sort of thanking everyone and all that kind of thing. And I remember thinking like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder, you know, I wonder what he's up to, wonder what he's doing. Right. And uh, so when he contacted me, I did assume that it was probably to say like, Hey, I've got this something or other I'm doing or whatever, just cause I know Dave, you know, like I, I knew he wasn't leaving the business when I knew, when I saw he was leaving TNA, I was like, that motherfucker's not leaving the business. Right. He loves wrestling, you know? So when he contacted me, I assumed it was to do with something to do with, with work, which was interesting because I was like, like I said, I was like, I was so kind of um, disenchanted with what was going on in the business at that time. I just thought, there's no place for me because I lend myself well to like the WWE. If I can't crack that, like then nowhere everyone else wants this sort of, wants this other thing right now. So um, Dave called me and was like, what's going on with you? Where have you been? Like, <laughs> 
why aren't you in WWE by now? And I was just like, I don't know, Dave. There's somebody there, you know, for whatever reason, it's someone, you know, and I think I know who it is, but I've never really been able to get a straight answer on it. I mean, you can just call him out right here if you want to, Nick. It's That's fine. all right. I, no, I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. not to live my life like that. And uh, he goes, well, it's fucking ridiculous that no one's making use of you. So here's what's going on. I left TNA. I won't, boy, you know how it was there. I just, you know, I decided I would, I stayed loyal to Billy. And he, he said, I don't know how much of it you've kept up with. I said, eh, a little bit. I said, don't worry. I, I can pretty much <laughs> presume what went down. And he said, yeah. Um, I decided I was going to go with Billy. I felt like he got shafted, and he did. And he bought the NWA, and that's what we're doing. I said, oh, cool. So that's what you Because I knew, I said, I've seen Billy had bought the NWA. I was curious what he was going to do with it. And he's like, no, we're going to make it a thing. We're going to make a product. I said, great, cool. He said, you know, Billy basically wants the wrestling that he watched on TV. He wants a modern equivalent of that. Like he wants like men cutting promos and having physical rough and tumble wrestling matches. I said, that I can do. Yeah. Right. That was them basically describing their vision of what they wanted. And then they said, what is your vision, you know, for who you want to be? And I said, okay, I want matches to feel like big time I want them to feel like prize fights. I want the prize fight approach to pro wrestling. I said, I'm sitting here watching the build to McGregor and Mayweather, and it's it's just the best shit I've ever seen. It's just it's just fantastic theater. You know, it's just they they've taken everything that <laughs> pro wrestling did first and are doing it better. And pro wrestling's not even doing it anymore. Like we're just we're just literally handing over all this money to MMA and boxing. We basically made this formula. We gave MMA and boxing the secret source and then stopped using the secret source ourselves. I'm watching Conor McGregor do a Ric Flair impression and making hundreds of millions of dollars. Meanwhile, like I'm watching wrestling and guys are doing like soap opera stuff. <laughs> I want I want my matches to feel like a prize fight. I want them to feel important and prestigious and like I want to put the sports back in sports entertainment. I want wrestling to be an entertaining sport rather than sports entertainment or just entertainment entertainment. And Dave was like, "All right, I will pass your thoughts on to Billy and then we'll see what." Billy called me like 2 minutes later. <laughs> And was just like, between your vision of what you want and my vision of what I want, I think we can make something really cool. I said, I agree. And that's and that's kind of how 10 pounds was born because I kind of sent them all the stuff I really liked, like a lot of the HBO 24-7s and uh, Showtime All Access stuff and everything like that. And that combined with, you know, what what their vision for the NWA was and Billy's. Dave, Dave obviously put his tremendous talent and vision to work with you know, with his editing and directing. And then we, and that's, that's how 10 pounds was born. It's so cool to hear you just tell that story because I'm, I'm sitting here and listening to you and I, I, you guys say it, but the authenticity is like such a huge part of 10 pounds of gold and wrestling. I get, it can be like a broad spectrum of things, but it, what drives me nuts right now sometimes is seeing this like discussion about people acting like it's a joke and we can act like it's a joke or it's a, uh, you know, like, I think, you know what I mean? It, winking, winking at the camera, fourth wall stuff. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're saying exactly what I'm thinking. It's, it's what kills me right now is people are trying to act like it shouldn't be taken seriously. And I think that that's part of what wrestling is. It's part of the pact that you make with the fans that the fans want to believe they want something to well, believe yes. in and if you're willing I, to give I, I them do that believe, 
Yeah, I believe deep down most of them do, yes. You know, I just try not to get too bogged down in the discussion of the genre at all. I see all that stuff and people want my take on it. And it's like, you know, if someone thinks that, then they can think that. I just don't know why we all have to talk about it. What do you mean? I, like don't, know the, why, the I don't know why a wrestler feels compelled to say, this is what I think wrestling is supposed to be. Like, I, who cares? If you're putting something out and people are buying, people are buying a ticket to see it, or tuning in to see it, or buying a pay-per-view to see it, more power to you. As long as you're not harming my ability to do it, we're cool. Now, I understand that with that comes the idea that if, yes, if there are people that are sort of blatantly disrespecting uh, the art of what we do, you know, by just kind of, by making it look like a joke, then yeah, then I can have an opinion on it. I'm just choosing not to share it, because I'm just, it's, it's a waste of energy. And I do happen to be of the opinion that I believe that deep down, you know, people who watch pro wrestling want to be taken on a ride. They want Rocky. They want a story that builds, that develops, that culminates in a one-on-one -on -one encounter com contest, whatever you want to call it, and for the, the hero to prevail. You and Marty this, this year is one of my favorite things I've seen on television, period. And everything about that build to the Crockett Cup and then the Crockett Cup itself was just the payoff there was exactly perfect. And when I, we did a recap episode of the Crockett cup and, and one of my guests at the time, like that had never seen the show. They, they mentioned that like, there's so much stuff out there now. And like WWE drops a pay-per-view, you know, every month. And back when we were growing up, you know, it, it was like four times a year or something like that. So you got a pretty good handle on like memorizing what the events were at the time and yeah. uh anyway they were they were they were pointing out they were like wow nick and marty at crockett cup is one that like you'll actually remember like you'll remember that match happening and I what event so, that yeah. was at and i thought that was a really cool thing it's a damn shame that it didn't get to play out further like when you guys were doing your your thing well here's the thing though i wouldn't i wouldn't speak in the past tense with it it's the same thing with like cody and like it's very, this is another thing that happens and it's part of our, it's part of our culture of, you know, of everything being on demand. And, you know, we're, we're, we're so spoiled generally as a culture and millennials that like, we want to, we want to write everything off if it doesn't happen just the way we want it right away. Like, That's a good point. Yeah. And I stay very open-minded to the idea that both of those, both Cody and I and Marty and I can be revisited. What, you know, Flair and Steamboat, one of the one of the greatest trilogies of matches ever. But they had more than three during the course of their rivalry. Steamboat left the NWA and went to WWF, and then came back. You know, <laughs> and you know, Flair went to the WWF, came back. It's just the culture that exists. People didn't go like, "Oh, that's it. We'll never see Flair and Steamboat again." You know, it's over. Like, wow, woe is me. Like, they just, it's like they're just not getting it right now, and. I think that that's just a thing where, you know, we're in such a rush to put everything into historical context that, like you said, you know, you sort of had a finality about it where you were like, oh, so it's a shame we didn't get to see that played out more yet. You didn't get to see it played out more yet. That's a good way of, my looking, way of at looking at it. My way of looking at it is the same way I look at Cody and I in that he knows that there's money there with me and he and him. He knows there's magic there with me and him. So I know he wants it. And I know that Marty does. So if both guys want it, it's Mayweather, Pacquiao, perfect example. There's a, if you watch the 24-7 to Mayweather and Pacquiao, Pacquiao's 
agent or manager, I, I, I forget what his official title was, but he, he talks about it. He was like, <laughs> they were under contract to two different organizations. One, he was under, um, Mayweather had, had jumped ship to Showtime. It wasn't under contract to HBO anymore. So now they weren't going to be able to fight, but they did make the fight. It ended up being a, a, a joint venture of HBO and Showtime. You know, because in other words, because he, he said, if both guys want the fight, how can these guys stop you ultimately? If that when there's money to be made and, and if there's enough money to go around for everyone, it's going to happen. I wish more promoters thought like that in wrestling because that's what promoters are. I, imagine if in 1998 or in 1999, if, if WWE and WCW had been able to get together and negotiate and agree on doing a pay-per-view where Goldberg and Austin was the main event. That's literally the example I was just thinking of. Yeah. Like, the, 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 it would have smashed every box office record. Would have, you know what I mean? It would have been, like, transcendental, you know? Wasn't even so, a, so you still believe that it can be, like, a, a boxing promotion? Of course. Like, of course it can. If the situation becomes such that like they need to, but remember, Gary, we're gonna we're gonna come up on it. We're we're coming up now on you know a week from now where there's gonna be a head-to-head -head battle, but you know on one night of television, you know between two wrestling organizations. Which so we, you know we're already in uncharted territory. We're gonna be in a situation soon where like regardless of what happens with that, you're gonna have two companies who are gonna need answers, who are gonna need constant like who are going to be throwing everything at the wall they're not going to be coasting anymore because those two shows in particular are going to be moving at a faster rate like just like you know nitro and raw did back in the day that just by the nature of it they because again wwe are smart they, they understand business so they're going they, when they have no when they have no other competition on that time in, in a time slot they don't need to throw everything at the wall they just need to stay the course and maintain you know, a number. Do they want to improve it? Always. Of course they do. But they, but they're not under any, they don't need to, they don't need to, you know, shoot the wad. Right. But now they, now we're going to be in a situation where those two shows at least are going to be having to do that because they're going to have to go, we've got, we've got to get them. We've got to get them in this next quarter out. We've got to get the people. We've got to, we've got to win the night. You know what I mean? And that's going to create openings and situations where they're going to go, oh, what can we do? What's going to create a, you know, so what I feel like is smart right now with like the NWA is and it's always been a thing that I've appreciated about them is, is you guys seem to have like a more long term plan on on how things work out. So I, I don't know that this affects you so much. But one thing I, I've been thinking about with this month coming up in October is you know, there's the law of supply and demand and there's yeah. to be a shit ton of supply. Right? Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree. Like, what is that? What do you think it's, about it, that? Honestly, um, I've voiced I've voiced that concern right from the right from the beginning of all this discussion is like just uh, my my major concern is that the already somewhat whittled down niched audience compared to better days for our business is going to be divided up even further. But we're not in the same business. We're going after a different market. So when people say if, if people don't, you know, if. if Wrestling fans who predominantly exist in the current form, you know, decide not to watch our product. We're okay with that because we're trying to go after a different audience, like any smart business would. We're trying to go after a different <laughs> demographic, and that demographic is fans who have fallen off the product for whatever reason, mostly because they preferred a certain style of stuff. 
you know, it's so hard to state any of these intentions without seeming like you're, you know, you're, you're projecting your own opinion, but has my opinion has nothing to do with it. This is 100% a business decision in the sense that we're going, there are sure, there are sure a lot of folks, you know, who aren't watching wrestling every week anymore. What did they used to watch? And I can bet you a great deal of them used to watch the NWA and WCW. And that's what, that's why we went, that's why I we've mean, gone with the direction we've gone. I feel like if you're on social media, you can see that that's the case. There's a, a lot of people. We, that are... we, we have, we have seen a, a healthy amount of, you know, from our very, very small, you know, uh, admittedly uh, focus group, you know, <laughs> so to speak of, 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 of the wrestling audience that we've been able to capture so far or of the audience in general. We have seen a lot of sentiment that mirrors what I just said. Yes. All right, Nick. I have a I have a few more things I have to ask you about. And I don't want to keep you all night, but I do have to ask you about the Jim Cornette situation. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the whole what, roster, but what, we're just not going to have situa- to. What, what situation? I, that's how the, I feel too. But corny, my, but you the, wrote the an article. Corny. As that Corny is very opinionated about his, you know, what he thinks happening in wrestling, which is which he's allowed, which is his prerogative, just the same way that that the stuff that he's speaking out against has the right to profess their opinion or stuff. It's just like I talked about before. That's a culture that I try to avoid mostly now, like because it's not important what I it's not necessarily important like what what I want to see. You know, it's like that's just me that's just me saying it for me and I'm and I now, it's the culture that I was speaking out against, the culture that somehow people decide, our generation, millennials, have decided that you have to agree with someone on every single level in order to invest your time in them as a performer. And I hate to break it to those people, but if you knew what a lot of your favorite performers probably think about a number of things, you would not be able to watch the product anymore, <laughs> you know? I mean, I feel so like that's come out over time. They but... just don't say it, so you're, so you're not privy to it. So it's like, you know, Jim Cornette has never said anything racist. He has never said anything homophobic. Like, just, despite what people have tried to spin some of his stuff as. Hey, he, look, man, I looked he and I, I did not see it. Yeah. He didn't. No, he didn't. He critiqued a performer's act. Yeah. Well, you know, that's perfectly that like i'm not saying i agreed or disagree with his critique of it but he critiqued his the performance of an act which is absolutely open season because you got because you know hey if you want people to pay to see you you have to be able to take their opinion so like putting yourself out there on the main stage i mean that's that's it like paro like paro doesn't do like a flamboyant gay gimmick but paro is legitimately gay so like if if a character decides to do like a flamboyantly gay character they have to be open to the idea that some people just aren't a fan of that type of character doesn't mean that they're homophobic yeah i mean we did a we did a uh recap of nwa 70 and paro was on that show and I had to explain to the guests on that show when we were watching it that I was like, oh, yeah, Jim Cornette, you know, he's faced some controversy for, like, homophobia or something. But they were watching that show, and they were like, well, he doesn't talk about Paro like he's homophobic. And he actually, right. like, literally well, at one point says, if you have a problem with gay people... And this, right, and this is my point. Is that it's the culture of thin-skinned performers who have to, instead of, instead of take the criticism and move on, have to somehow allege uh, some sort of unacceptable, you know, social injustice on the person cr- criticizing them to damage that person, 
Like that's not a, to me, that's not a fair retaliation. If Dave Meltzer says, oh, I didn't think Nick Aldis's match was very good. I don't then turn around and go like, Dave Meltzer is being xenophobic because I'm British. Oh, this is this is purely discrimination against me for being a for being a tall wrestler. He's discriminating against all tall wrestlers. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Like it's fucking stupid. Yeah. I, so I mean, like, I'm not a fan of cancel culture at all. Yeah. So it's and, and my point is it's like <laughs> the, the people who are making the point say, oh, well, count me out if Cornette's part of it. Who are you trying to impress? You're you're not earning points with anyone by saying this like and hey if you and if that's genuinely how you feel like it then i'm sorry sorry you feel that way and i guess we'll see you down the road if you Cornette, don't think jim Cornette brings value to that commentary position then you're the insane he's the best extemporaneous speaker available in the business today and maybe of all time except for bobby Heen. one of my goals and, in this podcast has been to learn as much as i can about the nwa and and get involved with that and and the man has forgotten more than i'll ever know his knowledge of the business notwithstanding he's been hired as a broadcaster because he's an excellent broadcaster so in other words if you don't like what he says on his podcast, that's not really relevant to what he's going to say on our show because he's not doing his podcast on our show. He's broadcasting the NWA product and he's the most qualified person to do it. We would be, be remiss. I have to ask you about the studio show coming up uh, September 30th, October 1st. You're doing the tapings. There are a few tickets left for people if they want to actually go there, which I recommend. I'm going. I'll be there. VIP. But the thing I'm most excited about, and somebody asked this on Twitter, it was announced that you were finally going to be defending that World Heavyweight Championship against Tim Storm. I saw a couple of comments where people were like, do you think that's the right match? Is that the right match to go with? And I was immediately, absolutely, yes, it is. Because this brings this whole thing full circle. This is the match that we have all wanted to see because we got it once. Technically twice, sort of, where you won your first championship. But people have wanted to see Tim Storm get his next opportunity. Um, what is it? What does it mean for you? Like that, this whole thing. I mean, as far as that goes, I'm 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 glad. Like I'm just I'm just glad that that it's a it's a a badge of honor for me to be able to take something and take it full circle over a two year period. Like that's not easy to do in wrestling anymore. And most people aren't afforded the luxury, right? Like it's, we happened on this, on this great opportunity with Tim and he's, a, uh, you know, he's just a, a fascinating character and people really got into him. And I think that he is as important to the tapestry of this new era NWA and wherever we, and the heights we eventually reach as anyone. They could have just pretended he didn't exist, stripped him of the title and started with me and everyone would have gone, oh, mm, oh, right, okay. You know, oh, right. if, they can, if they can Magnus from TNA and slap you know, the belt on him and yeah. just, you know, because he's a, he's a prototypical, you know, 6'4", you know, decent physique, you know, decent looking, okay, great, whatever. Could have been very easily pushed aside by the culture that wants to do that kind of thing. I liked your attempt at staying humbled through that. That was good. Yeah. And um, instead, they went, well, this is interesting. Because wrestling fans have got such a, you know, at this point, we, this is one of the things that we talked about. I said, I'm a millennial wrestling fan. And I guess I'm in the business. So I'm obviously jaded, you know, by my experiences in the business. You know, and I've been in it at a fairly high level. And so, you know, so obviously going to be jaded. 
But I said, I feel like in general, most millennial wrestling fans have a pretty strong bullshit meter now. Yeah. Bullshit detector. So like you're already swimming upstream when you're constantly trying to feed them something that deep down they know isn't true. Like everyone wants to be taken on a ride, but they have to be able to suspend their disbelief. They have to be able to feel like this could be real. You know, so like when some guy who they've followed in another company or followed through their early career and then gets to WWE and they've got a completely different name, that's immediately kind of difficult. You could get away with it more back in the day because it wasn't the internet. So people, it wasn't as easy to, unless you came from a certain area, didn't really matter. You know, it could be a bit problematic now, right? And I'm just using that as an example. That immediately puts you under the, under the understanding of like, someone else gave him that name. Someone else is controlling this, right? Right. So immediately it's difficult to kind of, you know, we, uh, we were the first generation of fans who didn't look at it as like, what's this guy going to do to this guy? We looked at it as, what have they written for this guy to do to that guy? Like, that's the difference between our generation and the ones before us. Is it like we were the first ones who looked at everything of like, oh, not what is Nick Aldis doing? Like, what are they doing with Nick Aldis? That's a good point. You know? Yeah. And so we kind of looked at it as like, let's not pretend anything. Let's take whatever, because I said, if we were a boxing promoter, this is what boxing and you and, and MMA do better than anyone. They don't. I, I love when they, I see stuff happening in boxing and stuff like fights and people go, oh, that was a work. People in wrestling always go, that was a work. It's like, no, it was an engineered situation. The big difference. Right. Like the, the promoters and the people pulling the scene, you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes are more than happy for Tyson Fury to upset, you know, someone and them to you know, Tyson Fury is a phenomenal character, by the way. God, what a like. Yeah. Amazing. I agree. Like he's he's my hero. But they don't say, okay, now Tyson, now you go say this and then so and so, you know, you do this and then you push each other and then everyone jumps it because it would, because you can't do it like that. Right. We're all humans. Like we've all, we all have instincts. We all understand like conflict. So we looked at the, the situation with Tim and Dave told me, he's like, Dave, uh, Billy went to go and, you know, meet this guy and he's just, he, he's got a good, he just, he's like fascinated by him. And then he explained it to me. And I was like, I'm kind of fascinated by him too. And then I saw him on camera. As soon as I saw him on camera, I was like, I totally get it. That's a man. You know, like, that's a fucking full-grown man. I agree, yeah. And, like, you know, you respect this man. You know, he's just, you you can't not like him. And he's he's a real man. That's authentic, you know? Yeah, there's something about the way he carries himself that is just, like, just, it demands respect. he He walks into the dressing room like in most wrestling shows now, and I don't mean this because of his age, although I rib him about his age, but it's like, you can feel like the, most of the boys in there, they, they act like, like their dad just walked in. They kind of like behave a little better and they, you know, and they don't, they sort of, you know, they, they, they sort of conduct themselves a little differently because it's like, awesome. this fucking guy is like, <laughs> it'll be on your P's and Q's. Right. And even though he doesn't believe that about himself at all, like he's like the nicest guy ever. But that's that's the that's the legitimacy he puts out there. And we just went, what's real? Like he said, like Tim said, this is my mountaintop. Like, I, you know, I know this is the best I've ever done. And at the end of the day, I know it may not be in the spotlight that it used to be. But damn it, it means a lot to me to be the NWA champion. And we said, great, that's we start there. It means a lot to him. And then I said, Ric Flair held that title. Harley Race held that title. Dory Funk Jr., Jack Briscoe, Dusty Rhodes, all these guys, they held that belt. It means a lot to me too. And then everyone went, and then a few people in the audience went, you know, it kind of means a lot to me too. And then a few more people went, 
you know what? Hell yeah, it means a lot to me too. To the point where suddenly everyone's going, the same people who had been like going like, oh, Billy Gorgonball at the NWA, what the hell? Suddenly six months later are like, oh yeah, that, that title, you know. Oh, it's beautiful, there. man. So, we, yeah, we, yeah, Dusty yeah. Rhodes and Harley Race and, you know, because suddenly they're going, I would be kind because of, because ultimately wrestlers only think in their own interests. So suddenly all these wrestlers who are before are suddenly going like, hey, brother, that would be kind of cool to be the NWA champion, brother. So then, of course, they're all going, oh, yeah, it's a prestigious title. That was so great. And hey, man, yeah, hey, maybe we can defend that at my promotion, you know, like and suddenly the NWA titles popping up all over the place. And it's in, you know, it's in House of Hardcore, for Christ's sake. You know, it's not like. It's like it's all over the place because everyone's suddenly going, you know, this is an opportunity to have like a, a genuine drawer, real world title. The title and that all other titles spun out of. Born from, right. And suddenly Cody Rhodes, one of the hottest acts outside of WWE with a ton of momentum, suddenly goes, that would mean a lot to me to be the NWA champion. And suddenly everyone goes, oh, shit. And suddenly it's like now we're off to the races. We took whatever was real. We took whatever was happening in that moment and we did that and we went with that because that's what a promoter does. You have to think like a promoter, not like a writer. You know what I mean? Like it's so much easier than we make it for ourselves. And I'm we by we, I mean the business like we're too busy trying to figure out who should say what to who and who should wrestle each other next. And, you know, and and who who should run over someone with their car and who should do this and who should kill someone's dog or whatever. You know what I mean? Like. Instead of just going like, this guy kind of rubs me the wrong way because he kind of thinks he's better than everyone else. And you know who I like, though? I like that happy-go-lucky guy who's a school teacher and he's just gruffing up. But God, you just feel like he could whip your ass if you, you rubbed him the wrong way. That's all it's got to be, oh, right? Oh, wait. What if we put? What if we matched up that guy with that guy? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I love about it. Look at, look at uh, Colby Covington in UFC. Like, yes. he, he needs some work. You know, Chael Sonnen was the first one to really do it right. You right, know, right. Chael's a friend of mine. And even Chael, like, by pro wrestling standards, was a little unrefined in his delivery sometimes. Like, he, you know, he kind of, he was able to get away with stuff that in wrestling would have been too generic. But, like, in, and, and that's the same as me and Gladiators, by the way. Like, I did so much shit that in wrestling would be considered, like, Oh, boring, like run-of-the-mill pro wrestling stuff. But in in some other environment, people were losing their minds. Then, like, here's Colby Covington, who's realized, hey, what's the hot button like polarizing topic? Oh, half the country hate the president, and half the country love the president, and there's like no in between. So, hey, I'll wear a I'll wear a Make America Great Again hat and be a villain. <laughs> it's so unrefined and so like by by wrestling standards by like sort of booking standards it's like uh that's too obvious but in ufc it works fine because it's because ultimately it still pushes people's buttons it makes it elicits an emotional response it's kind of insane to see like a lot of wrestlers try to walk away from some of the stuff that that has always made wrestling great and like every other sport is using it it's just it's really weird and we basically went uh yeah, no, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, we'll show you how to do it properly again. What are you, what are you expecting from, like, the studio show, like, as far as... Because I, when I think of the studio show, I'm thinking of, obviously, the intimate crowd, the matches pressure that happen. Cooker. Did you say pressure yeah. cooker? Pressure cooker, yeah. Yeah. A boatload of big egos and loudmouth talkers smushed in a small space together, and sparks fly, and we see what happens. 
Yeah, not so much. I mean, you know, I don't want to crap on anybody again, but it, it, it's like not so much like backstage angles, like you said about like who killed whose dog or ran over who, but like, you know, have Sean Mooney interview somebody and let the guy talk. I <laughs> love Mooney. Yeah, I know. I know. I do too. Like me, Gene, and Sean I Mooney. Was so, and... I, was so, uh, I was so proud to get to do a, a Stickman interview with Sean Mooney for All In. It was great. Uh, it was great. It was great seeing you there. It was a, it was a really cool moment. And I've heard you talk about it before, but yeah, just that kind of you were in front of everybody during that that period. So I can't imagine the pressure that's on, but I guess if you're going to be the champ, that's part of it. Oh, you mean all the people that were in the room? That's a funny story, yeah. They, we, had to, we had to get it there and then um, pre-taped, and it was, so it was in the green room for the, the weigh-in and the press conference and stuff, and yeah, all the... Like I don't know why the impact brass were there, but they were, and obviously all the the all the key talent for All In was there, and uh, Dave was there, uh, Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett were there, like just kind of like it was like a who's who, you know, of sort of behind the scenes personalities in wrestling. And then Dave was like, uh, "Can we everyone quiet for a sec, Nick? We need we need a we need the we need a promo with Sean for tomorrow for the show." And I was just like, "Here now, yeah, all right." And I was just I was like, "I cannot." Love this, like this has to be one right. Take. That's so much pressure. Was. But I see, I do better under pressure. If I have to do a promo in a room by myself, it'd be 10 takes, you know, like maybe it might be, it might be two takes, but it could be 10. Because if I don't have like the if I don't have the nerves and the adrenaline and the you know, sink or swim, like this has to happen now, like I, I, I cannot embarrass myself in front of everyone, it's not the same. All right, Nick. You have been more than generous with your time. You have been amazing. Um, the little bit of audience that I've built up and the goodwill I've had so far will be completely ruined. If I don't ask these people's questions, do you have a little bit of time to sure. answer some fan questions? Go for it. All right. Was that like an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation? Yeah, All right. That was great. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch a softball at you first. Stephen Fry says, what former NWA <laughs> Stephen champ- Fry. Yeah, I know. I know. That's that's literally the name. I don't the know. Stephen Fry? Yeah, it's probably him. Love I'm him. Sure. He, 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 now he's he's a he, now that you talk about a national treasure. There's a national fucking treasure, <laughs> Stephen Fry. You should be proud. What former NWA champ would you most like to have a match with? Softball question. Ooh. Uh, what current? Uh, it says former NWA champ. No, but I mean, I mean, no, but I mean, still who who is still active? That's a good question. Uh, let, let's let, let's narrow it down to that. Otherwise, you know, obviously the obvious answer would be Flair or Steamboat or Sting or you know. But I've wrestled Sting, but you know, I beat Sting in the middle with a cloverleaf. If you remember, just saying. <laughs> and, uh, no, I guess of the. I mean, business wise, you know, even though I have wrestled him. You know, before many times, it would probably be AJ Styles. Yeah, you know, if it had like, let's face it, of the of the former NWA champions currently on the market, <laughs> uh, you know, AJ Styles would make the most sense. We've got no name here at fan underscore NWA. He says, "I'd like to know about the relationship with the three men who walked you to the ring at All In: Jeff Jarrett, Sean Davari, and Tim Storm." Well, there was four men. There was Sam Shaw as well. Yeah, is, I was going to say Sam Shaw. Was now Dexter Loomis in NXT. Yeah, clever name. Well, again, it was all real. So they all had, you know, they all had relevance 
to my career. So Sam Shaw and I met at Harley Races Camp. We've been friends ever since. He's one of my closest friends, one of the one of the best people I've ever known. And uh, he was a groomsman at my wedding. We're just we're very tight. Our kids are friends. Like we're you know we're like we're we're like brothers. So that's that one's easy. Sean Devari was my roommate. He was when I first came to TNA. He was like the first. Uh, he was the first guy to really help me and smarten me up to a lot of things and ride with me. And then we even then we even became roommates in Tampa. So again, he's one of my closest friends. He's like a brother. The fact that I was able in some small way to create a chain of events which led to both of those guys getting getting hired, getting uh, in Sean's case rehired at WWE as you know, as a producer, and Sam finally getting his break at WWE after so many years of being dark match or extra tryout, uh, thanks but no thanks, or you know come back some come back in six months. For him, to, for him to finally pull the trigger and give him a shot, that's cool, man. And then when you think that, I, I guess it actually, if I'm if I'm I'm not not trying to overstate any of these, but even with Jeff, there's a lot to be said for me help sort of setting off a chain of events that led to Jeff, you know, redeeming himself and and getting getting his job at WWE, which is a very well paying job. I hasten to add, <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of. There was a con- it was quite controversial that Jeff was there. The Bucks didn't want him there, and I had to basically go and sell it to them and talk them talk them down because they they kind of didn't they thought there'd be too much blowback and they didn't you know necessarily trust Jeff. And I had to basically go. <laughs> Jeff's been the most you know one of the most instrumental people to my career. He always went to bat for me always in TNA. And then after when he left TNA, he like, as soon as I became available, I was a, he was the first guy that wanted me. And even though we had had our own sort of small falling out, you know, it was during a time where, you know, Jeff was having substance problems. So it was like, we all just, you know, had to sort of understand that, but he's, he's, you know, been like a, he's been like a father to me, or, you know, not a father, but like a father figure in the business. He was like, from day one really was was always kind of trying to help get me there so it's like i if i remember uh x park sean you know he he talked to me like after all in and was like man i said you know obviously like the match and everything with cody and was you know was really pleased about how it all had turned out but he was like man i love the thing you put out about jeff you know because because I'd felt a lot of people, oh, Jeff Jarrett, no thanks, and all this kind of thing, typical kind of <clears throat> cancel culture stuff. And I put a thing out basically explaining, like, you know, if you've had an issue with something Jeff's done, he was he was struggling at that point, but he's done more good for this business, and he's done more good for a lot of people in this business than he has bad, and I'm one of them. And if I can forgive him, then so can you. And, like, ultimately, I don't really give a fuck because he's important to me. So that's why he was in my entourage and everyone went, yeah, that's cool. I get that. That was a huge part of the, uh, everything fell into place for that match with Cody and I, but like, that was a huge part of it. He had DDP and he had, you know, Brandy and his father-in-law and, you know, people who were important to him and Dreamer. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have the people who have been important to me in my career. So I had Sam, I had Davari, I had Jeff. And then I was the one who said to Dave, none of this would have likely happened without Tim. So I want, I think I think Tim deserves to be a part of this in some small way. It was definitely so special I, for the NWA fans, for sure. The one thing I wish that I had done is I wish that I had recorded the conversation, me calling Tim to ask him. I, I called him on the phone and said, 
uh, what are you doing September 1st? <laughs> you know, and he was just like, well, I don't know, you know, whatever. I forget what he said. And I was like, because I'd like you to come to Chicago and walk out to the ring with me, you know, like for all in. I could be in my be in my entourage if you would if you would do it. And he was just like, God, he he was, you know, that he was so, so um touched by that. And I was like, damn, we should have got this on film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would have been but you know, stuff. it was true because like we talked about just now. <laughs> Had people not got that curiosity and then been kind of intrigued by this, like, so here's this guy who, you know, we've seen in TNA who's got a point to prove or chip on his shoulder, whatever you want to call it. And then there's this other guy who's basically been a journeyman, like wrestler on the sort of on the Texas, you know, and, and surrounding states independent scene. Man, this is interesting. Like he's, you know, suddenly this you know, this guy, Nick Aldis has his sights set on the NWA title and he's reminding us all why we're, it's important. But now we kind of want this nice, this cool guy that we've never heard of to keep it because it means so much to him. And damn it, he's kind of a cool, rugged, likable dude. I was going to say, it's probably the easiest day to have a heel moment is when you're working Tim Storm, I would imagine. Yeah, like, um, and had none of that happened that way, then we may not have got to a point where we got Cody's attention and then all that went off. And that was like, I mean, that was just so easy. Like the Cody, again, like we did the same, we just did the same thing with Cody that we did with Tim and I. Obviously just more people saw it. We just, we said, what's real? We took the real parts of it. Cody was super competitive with me about certain things like he was the one who wanted to do the weigh-in and all that like i had thought about suggesting it but then i was like "Ah, you know it's not my show like and you know i didn't think they'd go for it and then cody was one who was like i think we should do weigh-ins and in my mind i was thinking what you mean is you want to do a pose down (laughs) you know like because i knew that he had in his mind he wanted to like bulk up and then shred down you know and be like shredded for all in and and you know and kind of show me up you know, like, like for the better physique, I knew that he wanted to do that, you know, and I knew that I would, would be superior in that area. But I knew that he, I knew that he wanted to be competitive with me on every level because he likes that. And he wanted to, you know, he sensed that with, with he and I, that we had this understanding with each other right from the beginning of like, we're like necessary enemies. We both genuinely believe we can be like the most important guy on any show. We're going to genuinely compete with each other. Patrick Ballman. This this one's easy. It's it's the standard interview question. Where do you see yourself and and the NWA in the next five years? Hopefully not celebrating the five year anniversary of me asking you this question. You know, I'd like to think that within five years I'll be firmly kind of established as you know a top a, a top performer and a top uh, attraction, a sort of a, a, a respectable kind of. OG character. And I think that the NWA, you know, if we continue on our current trajectory and our current, you know, milestones, I suppose, within five years, I think we could be a very solidly established brand and attraction and organization, you know, like just a, I think brand is the best way to put it because I could see us working with multiple different companies here and there. But I think ultimately, like what I, what I've always wanted for us is to be like the HBO boxing of, of pro wrestling, where it's like, Who's to say who's, you know, who's really number one or like the, you know, the tippy top. But when, when HBO boxing, you knew it was going to be quality. You knew it was going to be like this real restaurant quality presentation all around, you know, every single element of it was going to feel really, really important and special. I love that. He also asked Nick, uh, when, with the NWA getting back to its roots in the recorded, uh, 
studio recording. Sorry. He says, uh, are there any wrestlers that, in particular that you're looking toward for inspiration in regards to promos or in-ring words? I guess he's thinking of former NWA stars and that sort of thing. Oh, you know, it's 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 all I've been it's all I've been watching, you know, to, for to you know to a degree. Nothing that wouldn't do, nothing that would come as any surprise. But you know, Flair and Dusty going back, like Rock and Roll Express, like you know, I, I watch all promos, sort of good and bad. And I'm, you know, like I've you know I've watched some back, watched back so much studio stuff, and you know, been sort of looked at some and been like, man, I didn't realize that so and so was such a good promo. And then I've looked at others where I've thought, wow, that kind of went off the rails. But it was like it just all felt different then that's and I, that's what i've taken away from it mostly was it was like it was real it was gritty and authentic like what you were watching was though you knew it, it, no, no matter what no matter how good the promo was in terms of the de delivery you knew it was coming from their heart you know you knew that those guys were speaking it and it was coming from their guts and that's that's the essence really of what you know what we're trying to achieve and so you know when i look at the people we've amassed for for you know for these shows these first sort of shows that we're going to do like it's i can't wait to see it like i can't wait to see you know i feel like everyone's i feel like everyone's going to just fire each other up so much and you know we're going to suddenly have a situation where hopefully we can create like a really you know unique um sort of flavor in this business Robski McFadden, Nick, I don't know if this is an insulting question because I have no idea. So I apologize. But he asked, when you were the leader of the Gladiators, did you ever win one time without the refs having to declare a technicality? <laughs> John Anderson had it in for me. I was undefeated on Earthquake in season one, which was the which was the sort of wrestling type event. But basically, it was basically like sumo wrestling on a moving platform i did pretty good on hang tough too i mean i was i was not good at powerball that was the one i got smoked on a lot once i once i figured out that i could be the guy in the middle i was all right at that too so i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> this person asks uh adam walker do, do you think being british as a wrestler that you have an additional barrier to opportunity over u.s counterparts due to stereotypes no i don't think so uh you know i think I do think that I always I've said this before in interviews. One of the reasons why I sort of modeled myself a lot after Triple H and then on and then Harley and Flair and going back after sort of realizing who influenced him. I think it's because I pretty early on, I've always been quite perceptive and I, I, was, I understood pretty early on, like you're British. So the chances are you're never, you know, the, the chances of being like the beloved number one baby face might be it's just it's just not likely for you know i don't say it's impossible but for you know to reach the top of the business which is all i really want to do is to, i just want to reach the top of the business so don't but <laughs> i knew that i would lend myself better to a heel character and i firmly believe that you got to have the yin to the yang i've seen criticisms leveled at triple h over the years like oh well he's just the guy that worked with the guy on top like yeah because you need that guy otherwise you don't draw the rock can't wrestle himself Right. You know, but you also can't put The Rock and Perry Satin, you know, in the main event and expect to buy. And, and that's no, I'm not knocking Perry Satin. I'm just using him so as an example. Saying you got he with Perry Saturn? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. But, you know, no yeah. <laughs> I'm just I could have said Steve Blackman, but that would have been blasphemy. Huge, <laughs> huge lethal weapon, Steve Blackman fan. Um, what I'm saying is like Triple H, he did that role better than anyone. He provided a credible threat to the person that 
that was the you know to the top star and he was a top star in the process he was the top bad guy how, how, for how people don't see that just is like it's mind-boggling to me it's like people don't say like i can't believe robert de niro did the job in that movie you know like well he was the bad guy in that movie like you know like they don't go like i can't believe that robert de niro wasn't the good guy like, i can't believe that they made him be the bad guy they don't do that they just go wow he was like oh robert de niro is the villain in this movie that's incredible i don't know i'm gonna give one more of these matchup questions and then i'm gonna get to the uh good stuff hey people people love to know who you'd like to fight but this jbh guy does say all respect to you for what you're doing with the NWA title and reestablishing its honor and glory. If no boundaries existed, who would you most like to face? Who's going who's gonna to draw the most money? Brock, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. <laughs> In the current scheme of things right now, you know, the one I would make the most money with would be Brock Lesnar. It's business. Yeah. Brock Lesnar, John Cena. Triple H, like if you're going to ask me that, then I'm going to give you an answer based on business. Like if I had the option to work, work with anyone today, that would be it. But not or the lethal C- weapon, or, or, Steve. CM, or CM Punk. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, who wouldn't say that? <laughs> CM Punk, I could, I tell you this for free. Punk could could negotiate a, a deal with with us. We could put on a we could do a pay per view tomorrow where he keeps half the friggin' revenue. He could get he could have half the pay per view, and we'd do it. No questions asked. We could, if we said we'll we'll do all this, we'll build all this, and and you know you come out of retirement because you want to honor the business like Harley Race, and you know Punk was at Harley's funeral, uh, so he was, was a I. Harley fan, yeah, yes, you know Punk paid his respects the same way I did. Now this is not me trying to cut an angle or anything like that, and I have great respect for Punk, but I'm saying like <laughs> he, you know. <laughs> He could he could run his own pay per view tomorrow. That's you know especially now it's easy that with like fight and all these different platforms where you can put your own pay per view out. Marty and I talked about doing our own pay per view if we couldn't get if we couldn't get Ring of Honor on board. We were gonna we were just gonna do it ourselves independently because it's like you can do that now. That's why I think more guys need to look at wrestling in the prize fighter approach. If you if you are if you think that you're able to create a situation and create enough anticipation in a match where where people would buy it on pay per view, hey, guess what? You could do your own pay per view. What just one off? You don't have to start a whole company, you know, and have to have a weekly television show and all these things that people think you have to have because that's all they've ever been conditioned to. No, you could. We could just do like. Cody and I did for All In and just build one match independently of everything else with our own, with YouTube and other and all these different avenues and then sell you the pay-per-view. That's what boxing does. Two boxers contact each other. Their people contact each other. Hey, we think that if this person fights your guy, like that would be, that would draw. Okay, cool. How much? What, what, okay, let's make a deal. <laughs> and that's what happens. You get paid to fight someone. Well, be like, careful what you ask for, Nick, because you might be talking to somebody who could get that word to him. Punk did help me ask my wife to marry me. Did you know he? That? He really did, yeah. I, have, I, uh, I had no idea about that. He's on my engagement video. I made her like a little video, and Punk was her favorite wrestler. And I, I know people who know people, basically, and uh, he, he made me a little video to to propose to my wife for me isn't that sweet he's a well, he's a he's a sweetheart of a guy i think that doesn't get uh that doesn't necessarily get mentioned enough he's always been nothing but 
a gentleman to me. I get on very well with him. And, and um, you know, he's always been very sweet to Mickey. You know, like that. It's uh, he's good people to me. I always so, thought the look, world but, of him after that. He was he was a really cool guy. Again, look, I'm not saying this to I, I'm genu- I genuinely just thought of this while we were talking. He, he could easily do that. He has the power to do that tomorrow. Oh, but yeah. He can write his put, ticket right now. We could we could put all that out. We could put these packages together. I mean, look at the packages he put together for me and Cody. Imagine the kind of packages we could do with, with Punk. You know, he could sell out Chicago like that, you know. And I genuinely believe that if he wanted to, we, he could he could take the reins on the entire, you know, on the entire business side of it. And he could make seven figures to wrestle me for the NWA title. Are you listening, Punk? Nicholas is putting down the challenge. I, I would like to see I'm that match, saying, honestly. I've thought about it. I've thought about people, it myself. getting bent out of here, but I'm just saying, people get bent out of shape about where, you know, I wish he would come back to us. Like, you know, maybe he would like to go after the real world's championship. Maybe that's how he wants to punctuate his legacy. That's what he should do, personally. Carry the same belt Harley had. He respects right. Harley. Hey, uh, Billy Pyle, we got a bunch of these, but Billy Pyle says, Dear Champ, when are you going to unblock me on social media? I don't know, but if I blocked you, it's because you said something insulting. And I, speaking of punk, I happen to think that he gave the best explanation of blocking is it's like, if somebody's yelling shit at you through your open window, you close the window. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't I just, have any responsibility. Like, I signed up for social media so I can broadcast things I feel like broadcasting. I am under no obligation to have to let you see it or see what you have to say. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> he he did he did go on to say, tell him great job on covers and strong pins. I hope he teaches everybody that. Oh, he's obviously an expert. Thanks for the pat on the back there from a grizzled vet. <laughs> Joe Sondag says, what genre of music do you listen to for relaxation, to train, or to get ready for a match? <laughs> wow. Uh, well, you know, uh, the, there might be different ones for all sense, but, um, I'm, I'm, I have the very, I have a very, very eclectic music taste and I am not a music snob by any means. Like I will listen to Taylor Swift if I feel like it, or I will listen She's to, she's going to come up again, Nick. Or if I, I will listen to, if I hear a piece, you know, nine inch nails or disturbed or shit, I, I have a whole hip hop playlist like i listen to hip-hop and rap like a lot of i you know i do like a lot of what i call classic era hip-hop like you know biggie and tupac and i listen to a lot of that when i train like that's just that's that's you know that's the kind of that's my favorite type of hip-hop but i you know if i hear something and i like what it does to me i will keep it and i will use it like for multiple things like i'm a big fan of the weekend for example he like that's one i listen to a lot when i'm getting into the mindset of like the national treasure character with the suits and the like that's the kind of stuff i listen to to put me in the mood when i need to be on jason scott says where's doug williams is he going to show up in the nwa doug has retired he's actually just undergone neck surgery which is you know long overdue uh, there's very few people on earth I respect more than Doug Williams. He's done a hell of a lot for me. I I love that man. He's a great, great man. Obviously, if he ever did decide he wanted to, you know, have another, he would always be always be welcome. Any interest in a match with Zack Saber Jr.? Sure. I think I think a match with me and Zach would go very, you know, would be 
a really interesting story because Zach kind of t- tends to have his way with a lot of folks, and I, that that wouldn't be the way it would go with me. I would like to see like you and Pete Dunn, as weird as that may sound. I think. I, I was a big fan of Pete Dunn. I I don't I don't want to sit here and say oh I found him I, you know anything like that, but I I remember the first time interesting story about Pete. The first time I ever saw him was at a Rev Pro show, I think, and I remember saying to Andy the promoter going like. I like him. I like this. I like this Pete Dunn. And he was just like, is that because he got your book? And I was just like, what? And he's like, yeah, he's like, cause I had mentioned about how I said last time I saw him, he, he kind of, he was kind of scrawny and small stuff. I said, now he's like filled out and he's got this, like, he's, you know, he's thicker and he's, he just, he looks imposing. Now he looks like an athlete and he's got like the legless singlet. He's got like the kind of, he's got a bit of a Taz thing going on and a bit of a sort of fit Finley thing going on and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, now he looks, you know, that was the last piece of the puzzle kind of thing. It's like, now I'm interested. And apparently nice. he, he bought my book. He used my book, The Superstar Body. So um, nice. someone, you know, Bodybook.com. Said, hey, someone said to him, hey, Pete, like you, you filled out. Like you look, it was Marty, I think. He was like, hey, you're looking better. And you're like, you're filling out and stuff. He's like, yeah, I, I bought Nick's book actually. And it really helped. <laughs> Nice. So I was always, you know, I was sort of take a little bit of pride in that. And Pete's a very, you know, he's a good kid. And obviously like, you know, phenomenal talent. We talk about that book on the podcast so it's a it's quality stuff okay fabe does want to ask what were your initial expectations when you signed with the nwa i really didn't have any i um i just thought i owed it to myself to have a have a go have a stab at something from you know from jump street from the date from day one and you know and i thought i owed it to myself to you know let's at least try because i'd always you know i'd always watched all these you know things these builds like showtime and HBO and UFC and different things and always of God, I would love to be, you know, I would just love to have one of my matches presented in this way, you know, the longer that stuff. I was like, well, I owe it to myself to at least try on this small level, see if we can do something that even comes close. Like, let's try it. And then, man, by the time we got to all in the build for Cody and I, I, I thought that we were presenting a product that was comparable to any, te- you know, television product in combat sports it kind of leads into this other question from uh at the more you nerd he says um do you find the wrestling landscape has changed since the nwa has returned positive or negative and what changes would you make if you could to the industry as a whole i I think it absolutely has changed because of us a great deal i mean you take the nwa title match away from all in and i think that's a very different event maybe i'm biased but i think that's a very different event in terms of its significance and it's you take our match out of all in and suddenly it just becomes a big sort of like oh isn't it cool that these guys sold 10,000 seats to do this to do this show and it's not man this match feels big like this this is a moment in time it was beautiful man nothing else happened on all in that was a moment in time we we talked about in an all in review that we did on the podcast it's insane to think about like i wonder what ring of honor was thinking the whole time the nwa title was the title that was on there and oh it mattered asleep at the wheel yeah yeah it was such a such a I, I, I don't i don't want to get into all that but yeah like it's you know it's, it's obvious it's like they're <laughs> asleep at the wheel man and they they're just like, paid for like a proof of concept for like they, another right. promotion <laughs> they they paid for these guys to do an audition for this billionaire and and i did like i i, I knew nothing about that I, I didn't know that tony was there he told me about that when i spoke to him on the phone and he said oh yeah i was there watching nice. the whole thing any chance of a relationship with New Japan? Casey Taylor wants to know. Uh, there's always a chance. I don't know. 
they 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 don't seem to they they have not been they have not been receptive to us at all so we don't waste time trying to change their minds all right i got i got this a few times i'm going to ask this and we'll get to a couple of fun ones and then be wrapping up here but uh a lot of people asking if you could partner with anybody for the crockett cup who would it be oh might not want to pick marty that didn't go so well last time yeah well i suppose you know this would be what, what about this if, if i could pick anyone to be a tag partner for the core cup what about cody yeah that would be pretty awesome that would have been that would be kind of unique right you know like we could have you know again because of the significance for you know with dusty and you know and obviously then our own history and then the, everything all kind of wrapped that's what I, I like it when things have layers of nuance you know this person was nice enough to take the pressure off me so if you want me to screw off when i ask this question just feel free but they said uh, this is from Fred. He says, it's been a topic of discussion on the podcast before, and I don't want to put at Rock and Roll Gary in the position of having to ask you this, but what are your thoughts of someone like Jazz or Tessa Blanchard challenging for the 10 pounds of gold or just your thoughts on intergender matches in general? Mm. Yeah, that's uh, what I thought. It, you know, you just, there's no way to answer this like without it triggering you know, a bunch of right. people, but um, it's it's not something that I give any thought to. Okay, fair enough. All right, so then we move into territory where I've got to ask you this, or he'll have my head. You obviously know I have buddied up with Adam Rotella from 10 Pounds of Podcast and his little video yes. show and stuff. So we had a little debate, and he wanted me to ask you about this, because uh, on the episode that he, he guested right before you, and we had a discussion about one of the things that he wished he could see more out of you was interaction on social media, you being involved. He wants to see you taking the 10 pounds out to dinner and dropping it in the middle of the table. Now, my side argument to that was, and you may have heard it, I don't know, but it, it was basically that there's this also this mystique about the championship the mystique about the champion that it was a big deal when the champ would come into the territory it would sell out always like it was but you didn't see the champ all the time so well, maybe it's not such a bad thing what are, what are your thoughts on this this whole debate we're having well here's here's the reason why it's such an interesting debate because you're both right oh i like that okay you're both yes i choose to be judicious with you know how and when the championship is seen because i want it to feel special and it is special it's the oldest and longest running most prestigious world's championship currently in circulation it's the championship that spawned all other championships it's the legacy of harley race harley race was buried with his nwa championship belt i did not know that That's... so so you're right but adam is right too in you know you <laughs> We used to say this with TNA house shows. You can bring Elvis back from the dead, but if not enough people know about it, no one's going to come. Yeah, right. So you, so you, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act. But he's made two different points there, from what what I've understood, because he's saying that you know he wants to have more of a social media presence. And the, the only reason I might not do is I, I have a five year old son, and a lot of the time I'm carrying that load on my own, and that's because you know obviously everyone kind of understands why. You know, uh, right. It's the family business. Can't imagine. It's probably tough. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, you know, just, just practically, but also if I don't, I look at social media like I would any other media. If I don't have anything interesting to say or put out, that's why you're not hearing anything because I'm too, I'm focused on the next thing that's important. Right. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a, 
there's it's there's nothing more ele- it's not like i have some more elevated thinking on it or anything it's it's just it's just if i deem it relevant enough to share i don't like sharing for sharing's sake and i think that that i think that that can create a very difficult situation in terms of of mystique and presence but he's saying that he wants me to walk into a restaurant and wearing the belt and throw it down on the table that's what adam rotella would do <laughs> it is what adam rotella would do you're right but you know what i mean like we we just talked about we're we that's not authentic i do that it's different you lose you lose some people and there was a part of me i did admit that there was a part of me that that kind of wished sometimes you would get on and talk some some crap to you know about why being the, why well, I don't know. Did you see? Did you see? Just to for for a little bit of context. I mean, did you see this whole thing that happened a few weeks ago with like Seth Rollins and Will Ospreay? Yes, and it, I thought it, the whole thing was embarrassing. You thought it was embarrassing? Okay. Like, I'm just curious. I mean, I, I thought it, Seth went a little bit too far. Like, I, I just yeah. But anyway, well, who, here's the thing. What? Where's the business? Where's the business? Right, right. That's We're a good not, point. They're not, they're not going to wrestle each other. So no one can buy a ticket to see this. There's no payoff to this. All you're doing is dividing your own audience. And by the way, for those guys, I didn't think it was a very smart business move because they share a lot of the same audience. So then, they're, you know, if you're forcing them to choose, why? Right. I just When I looked at that, I just went, who, who is benefiting from this? I don't see it. But again, this is why where wrestling and MMA is doing pro wrestling better than pro, because, the, because wrestlers, all the wrestlers act like keyboard warrior fans now, and they're forgetting the fact that like they're supposed to be the ones pulling the strings, and instead they're the ones getting worked. When two boxers or MMA fighters you know, are talking shit about each other online, chances are they're going to fight. Then people are going to pay to see them fight. Wrestlers are the ultimate carnies like we're the ones who you know our business was born out of the carnivals we were, we were right. working everyone you know to, to sort of make them believe that they were seeing this conflict and then going back afterwards and being like hey thanks for doing that like here let's split the money now we're just doing it and giving it away for free and not doing anything about it how is i don't know how is that any different to just just being some loud mouth on the street causing a scene if there's money to be made you can bet your ass i'll be doing it if it leads somewhere but i'm not right. just going to do it i'm not just going to who cares what i think if i i don't care what it goes back to the like the the cornet thing like i don't have to agree with every everyone's philosophy on it. promote yourself promote your organization but if you can't promote your organization without running down other organizations in the process then maybe you need to fucking get a work on your own organization if your only marketing point is like it's not going to be like that other promotion then okay well what's your promotion then we don't we don't try to throw shade at like any one promotion while we're promoting our own we just say we think that there are a lot of people who would like to see more of this more authentic down the lens promos and interviews more hard-hitting, sports-oriented contests with a with a believable flavor to them and a, and, a, and a sporting event atmosphere. And we think people want to see conflict that that generates in a more organic fashion. We don't say what we don't want people to see. I don't care what other. We, we're just going to go after the people that want to see that. And if people want to see the anything that doesn't fit into those parameters, then they're welcome to say that too. Right. All right. Nick, I'm going to ask you one more. It's a three-parter, though. This is from Jay-Z Flair, the Bojangles champ. How does it feel 
to be the only champion that carries your championship like it's actually prestigious? That's the first part. Uh, that well, by answering that question, I would be endorsing that as an opinion, as 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 my as my opinion, which I am not, because that's okay. his that's his opinion. Uh, I appreciate that he feels that I carry the championship in a way that makes it feel important. I could not give oxygen to the idea that any other champion doesn't do that because I haven't seen enough of it to form an opinion. Even if I did, I'm not sharing that opinion. It's not necessary. All right. Diplomatic Nick Aldis. Who is your preferred tailor or suit shop? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really think I have one. I mean, I like certain, you know, certain brands seem to sort of fit, seem to work with me better, like Hugo Boss and Pronto Womo, uh, Calvin Klein, I get, but, but I don't know. I mean, as far as like tailoring and stuff, I don't, yeah. I've had, I've had suits made in Europe and I've, I've even had some, tailored in vietnam like uh, you know and i've had and i've had some tailored you know here in the states you know sometimes you just get it right like i've got i don't know how many i don't know how many tailor-made suits i have now but out of all the ones i have which is definitely like double digits it's like i i still have sort of three or four that i end up going to more often than not just because like i know that they're going to fit in a way that's like you've got to feel it man like once you put it on it's got to be just right when you know that you've nailed the look and it's like the whole thing's come together it's unstoppable it's awesome speaking of uh taylor his third part of this question and the final fan question is, what is your favorite Taylor Swift song? <sighs> uh, oh, what's it? Oh, um, uh, oh, I think Gun to My Head, Style. Style. You heard it here. Nick Aldis' favorite Taylor Swift song. Nick, I promised you uh, before we started recording, I said no gotcha questions, but I'm going to ask you this one real quick. I heard a story did Taylor Swift slide into your DMs at some point? <laughs> I cannot confirm or deny such a thing. But I, you know, she actually she has a she has a relationship with Billy. So um, you know, there's 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 always there's there's always that hope that you know one way or another I might be able to cross paths with Tay Tay through right. Billy. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to hear that Taylor and Billy have a relationship. I was not aware of that. Well, Nick, I mean, you have been extremely generous to this humble podcast. I mean, this is, I think I have asked you, exhausted almost everything I can think of to talk to you about. I was really nervous I wouldn't have enough, and now we have talked for a very long time. I appreciate you being so cool and open and, and putting us on the map here. Uh, we, we humbly were trying to start out and uh, show some respect to the NWA, and this really feels like kind well, of a peak. Yeah, well, I, and, and I understood that and appreciated that. And this was my way of trying to help you out. All right, man. Well, um, I mean, you named your show This is the NWA. I mean, I can only assume that that came from my promo at Crockett Cup. You know, the thing is, is if you... All right. Well, since you brought it up, when I saw you at the Crockett Cup, before the Crockett Cup, I gave you a sticker of my podcast. And it, oh, says, it says this is the NWA. So oh, I've always well, been maybe you subconscious. Maybe you subconsciously gave it to me. I've always been kind of mildly curious about that. I never said maybe anything. You, I, hey, maybe you did. Like, <laughs> like it has to. It had to have it had to have crept into my consciousness 
somewhere the sticker. I had Ric Flair with the 10 pounds of gold right there. Somewhere, on the front. Along, somewhere along the line, it must have slipped into my consciousness, and that may have been it. And I saw you at Crockett Cup. I was like, he said this is the NWA. I wonder. But I don't know. It was, uh, we'll just go back to that word, serendipitous. It was just a nice little thing that happened. So anyway, Nick Aldis, you are at Real Nick Aldis on Twitter. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. What are you on Instagram? At Nick Aldis. At Nick Aldis. Thank you yeah. so much for doing this show, Nick. I, I really do appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you can find the podcast at The NWA Pod. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Five, two, three.